You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get around. They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up! Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. You're a never was. August! 31st, yes, it is 2023, we're the done, we are done with the summer, we're moving on to the fall, and then moving on to the winter, excited as the NFL season is right around the corner, one week away today, as Thursday night football will begin the NFL season, excited about that, 631-672-3108 is the number to call, you are listening to the sports Loudmouth with Speedy Petey. As everybody knows, I'm Errol Marks. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including The Loudmouth with me and Speedy Petey every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. As next week, the transition into the fall and winter season, we will be on every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Speedy, what's up? Well, we do have some Thursday night football. It's college football. A little uh, Florida, ver- uh, Utah versus Florida, which our friend uh, Blackhawk West, or mm-hmm. Worldwide West as we like to call him, has 63 total parlays for. And right now, we, a lot of them are on Florida, and Utah is up right now. But West is enjoying himself in uh, Colorado. He sent me some views yesterday. It was very nice. Oh, I love Colorado. It is beautiful. And and I love the winter time over there. My friend AJ lives over there. It's fantastic. You could do so many things. The mountains are beautiful over there. You could ski. You can obviously hike. You could do so many things. And the city, Denver, Colorado, has beautiful, beautiful restaurants. And also, it looks like if you've ever been in Long Island, it looks like Bayshore. It's not a city like New York. It's more uh, contained. It's a very interesting city. But uh, again, uh, we have a great show lined up for you. But before we get into the show, I want to congratulate the Nebraska, uh, as, as we all know, uh, Nebraska sets a world record for women's sports attendance. Uh, more than 92,000 fans were in hand in Omaha, Nebraska, for a record-setting volleyball match between Nebraska Cornhuskers and, obviously, Omaha. Yes, everybody. The Omaha Mavericks. So it was a fantastic story, and it's something that you never really see. It's a record-breaking. It'll be in the Guinness Book of World Records. And and now... We'll see if anybody else could break it. So, Speedy, it is a great, great story. Yeah, very, very cool to see for just this, the that school in Nebraska in particular uh, for the sport of volleyball in, in general too, which uh, I enjoy watching in the Olympics. I don't, I haven't had a lot of time to watch it in college, but also for uh, women's sports in general, getting that kind of attendance—that's like a college football attendance in order that kind of stadium. It's incredible. You know, Kenny's on a, <laughs> Kenny's on the feed right now, so he says, "When are you fixing the the uh, the app?" That's what he's telling me, and uh, Kenny, I. 
I am obviously getting another, a new app made. It's going to stand out a little bit more than the old app. So, Kenny, just relax. Worry about doing and putting out a good product and a good show for yourself, and I'll worry about the rest. But we have a great show lined up for you at 9.30. We'll be talking to ESPN Plus college football analyst and broadcaster Patrick Murray. He will be joining us. It'll be the first time he's been on our show. So uh, if you haven't seen him on ESPN, well, you'll have the chance to see him on our show tonight. Very interesting kid. Uh, he's He's been in... You know, in the business for about seven years, and he's growing. He is a, a big sports fan and a college guru, so we're very excited to have him on the show. Packers insider Peter Bukowski says that the Jets were blind to trade for a toxic Aaron Rodgers. Why am I not surprised another Green Bay writer is saying these things? I have no idea. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is just a bad, bad guy, but it doesn't look like that on Hard Knocks. It doesn't look like that on Jets One Drive. I haven't heard that from any of his former teammates that we've had on this show, so I don't know what this guy is saying. But anyways, Aaron Rodgers has beef with the Giants defensive and uh, if you don't remember what happened on Hard Knocks, the G, I'm sorry, the Jihad uh, terminology uh, as Jihad Ward in the Jets Giants preseason game uh, said something to Aaron Rodgers, pretty much saying, uh, "Yeah, I don't even know who you are." And Aaron Rodgers says, "I haven't heard of you either." So I, I, I it's so funny, and I, I love that it, it stood out on Hard Knocks because you got a chance to, to really see what these guys say on the field and go back and forth uh, with their egos. So that was interesting. 49ers say they will not trade Nick Bosa. So all you Nick Bosa fans, uh, you step back and you relax and you enjoy the show because he is going to make a lot of money. It seems like the 49ers are going to have to bite down and bite down big. For Mr. Nick Bosa, he is not Joey Bosa. Nick Bosa has been one of the best, if not the best, pass rusher in the NFL for the last three seasons. The guy is a beast, and he's everything to that defense, and the 49ers need him this year if they plan to go to the Super Bowl. Vikings make TJ Hawkinson the highest-paid tight end in NFL history. Four years, $68 million contract, which pays him a significant amount and a signing bonus that's Pretty uh, pretty nice. So I'm sure TJ Hawkinson is very, very happy about that. Um, the NFL will not discipline Tyreek Hill, which I'm not surprised, for his incident with a marina worker in June. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's seen the videos of that, but it's pretty funny. Okay, so Tyreek Hill, who loves to be the center of attention to everybody's eye, including the Miami fans' eyes. Uh, he, he does some interesting things uh, off and on the field as well. So, uh, very interesting story. We'll get into it. Uh, reports say that college football playoff might not expand to 12 teams because of the new conference realignments. So, uh, that is a really interesting story because we've been going back and forth with different analysts, and they love the 12-team uh, you know, college playoff, and now all of a sudden you're taking that away. What are you going to do? Eight? Are you going to do six? I, I think this is. I think what college football should start doing is what the NCAA March Madness tournament. You can't have 64 teams, but 
you can have about, I would say, 16, 18 teams. That would be interesting. And you see the competition, and you're fighting for one thing, winning the national championship. That's what you want to see, and you have to earn it. Mets fire many front office employees. <laughs> the Mets and the Yankees are funny, man. I don't know what's going on with the Mets and the Yankees. Clean in house. <laughs> Uh, by the way, the Mets and the Yankees will call up top prospects. Dominguez is coming up. Uh, Panera is up. So they're, they're all up. And, and we're going to get a chance to see uh, all the youngsters that could be the future of the Mets and the Yankees organization. Let's parlay with Jonathan at 11 o'clock. Bracket Wars tonight. The number 12 seed, Carmelo Anthony. I can't believe he's still in it. Versus the number one seed, Mariano Rivera. And the number seven seed, Mike Bossy versus the number three seed, Darrell Revis. So, I want to get into this story because this seems like a story that's going to stick. We can we can go all over this story because it, it doesn't really amaze me more to see what the Green Bay writers and what the Green Bay fans have said about Aaron Rodgers. This is the same writers that we've had on the show over the last two, three years that Praise Aaron Rodgers. He's the greatest quarterback since sliced bread. Now, all of a sudden, he's no longer a Green Bay Packer. The fans have pretty much turned their back on Aaron Rodgers when he didn't even turn his back on the fans. The fans are blaming Aaron Rodgers for being traded when it had nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers and it's something to do with the executives of the Green Bay Packers. And yes, Aaron Rodgers has the right to have say on who and what is on that, on that team for that organization. You know why? Because he's your superstar. He's your franchise quarterback. Aaron Rodgers got into a beef with Giants pass rusher Jihad Ward, who gave him a late shove after Randall Cobb had a blindside block on Giants cornerback Bobby McCain. The block ultimately gave McCain a concussion, and Ward accused the Jets bench of laughing during the injury, which Rodgers denied. Ward also added that hard knocks only showed this feud from the Jets' point of view. Rodgers responded to Ward, I don't even know who you are, and claimed he was making it up. Packers insider Peter Bukowski also said that the Jets were blind to a toxic Aaron Rodgers and said he wanted too much input with the Green Bay Packers. Joe Douglas responded in, the, in his press conference that Aaron Rodgers' trade was unrealistic and called Rodgers unselfish when taking a massive pay cut to help the Jets this offseason. Douglas said Rodgers' unselfishness could lead to the, the, the way for a big in-season move as well. What does that tell you, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, is there a guy from Vegas that might want a way out? I don't know, but that just says something. It says something about Joe Douglas. He's feeding not just the Jet fans, but everybody in the NFL that the Jets have a plan. And that's something the Jets have not had for years. They have had nothing. They can't make plans. They're an organization that makes plans and falls off a cliff when they make those plans. It never works out. It never works out. And I understand that the writers for the Green Bay Packers want to attack somebody. They want to blame somebody for last year's debacle against Detroit where they had a chance to go to the playoffs and maybe make a run. Aaron Rodgers last year was forced out of Green Bay. He wanted to stay in Green Bay. There's no question that he did. 
The fact that when he went to the darkness and he, he was gone for about a week, he told the Green Bay Packers, what are your plans next year? Are you planning to keep me or are you planning to move me? When he was in the darkness, the president of the Green Bay Packers spoke out and said that they're ready for Jordan Love to take over as the quarterback of this organization. Right under Aaron Rodgers' feet. Aaron Rodgers couldn't even defend himself until he got out of the darkness. And it was strategic why the Green Bay Packers did that. And I, I sit here right now. I don't know the Green Bay Packers organization. I do know that Aaron Rodgers does, does not like any of those executives except one, I think he mentioned, that's still with the organization. He didn't like how the team was run. That's why he asked for a lot of money. And that's why they extended his contract. Uh, he was happy with that. But last year, he couldn't have been happy with the team that they built around him. How could you be happy when your best wide receiver is a rookie who didn't even pick up his game until week 11? Trust me, I know. I drafted him. And then your second best wide receiver is Dubs. I keep saying it because he's dumb for Dubs. Everybody believes that this guy is going to be a good wide receiver. Oh, he had a great offseason this year. He could be Jordan Love's number one target before season's end. Get out of here. Everybody knows Christian Watson is going to be his number one target. You cannot blame Aaron Rodgers on the, why he pushed his way out at the end of this whole situation because he was disrespected by the organization. And now the writers and the fans are attacking him back and forth all over social media saying that he's washed up. He's not the same guy. You listen to what Daigle said yesterday. Oh, he's not the same quarterback he once was. Why? Because he threw 27 touchdowns, led the, led the NFC in touchdowns, and he was second or third in least amount of interceptions. So he had a bad season, even though he led the NFC and the conference with touchdowns. Analytically, you could say, all right, yeah, there are some areas of his game that wasn't vintage Aaron Rodgers, but that doesn't make him not good, and that doesn't make the, the Packers wrong for uh, treating him the way they did at the end of his career, too, because Aaron Rodgers, I think during the first, I would say, seven years of his starting career, like he, he liked the receiving core that he was with outside of Greg Jennings, like we talk about all the time. He liked the receiving core he was with. It was pretty stable for a while. And even when Devontae Adams transitioned into that, they still had Jordy Nelson there as well. And then they transitioned to Devontae Adams. But since then, they've had to overcompensate, I think, for other positions they were not able to develop before that. For a while, the Packers had a pretty good receiving core and no running game. They had a pretty good offensive line but didn't have the tight ends. They had a pretty good secondary but never had the front seven. And now they finally have a combination of all those things built up and Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the wide receiver. So they, it's, it's hard for the Packers to believe they can have it both ways with that. And especially in today's NFL where you need to have a good receiver quarterback rapport. And that's why you see a lot of these receivers drafted earlier now. You see these receivers get big contracts to keep them there. And you see veteran quarterbacks uh, get rebirthed because of newer wide receivers breaking out or receivers that are already on the team breaking out. When you look at a team like the Rams with Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup had a record-setting year because of that. And who says that kind of thing can't happen with, uh, with Aaron Rodgers? maybe with Garrett Wilson like that kind of thing can be sparked with a new quarterback because of that and all these Packers writers that are saying that uh, they got out of a bad relationship well you better hope that these other wide receivers can pick it up why is there so much hatred for this guy what is it we have guys we have a Green Bay Packer fan that does a radio show called the wise guys on this network 
He was the biggest Aaron Rodgers supporter for the last three seasons. Oh, we have the best quarterback in the NFL. Look, back-to-back MVPs. Now, all of a sudden, he's no longer a Green Bay Packer. We don't need him. We don't want him. We got Jordan Love. He's going to change everything. And I just want to let people know something, because I don't think anybody understands what it's like to have, including Jet fans, what it's like to have a Hall of Fame quarterback for a significant amount of time. You had him for about 17 years. You had Brett Favre for about 17 years. So you had... Hall of Fame quarterbacks for over 30 over 30 years. Do you know how hard that is? The Jets have one, I repeat, one Hall of Fame quarterback that played for this organization. One. And that was Broadway Joe. Do I think he was a Hall of Famer? I will say it again. I do not. His numbers would show that he isn't. He's known for that guaranteed win in Super Bowl three, That's it. I, I mean, his career, how many years did he play in the NFL? Nine? Ten? He didn't have that career that everybody wants to point out. Hey, Broadway Joe was the greatest Jets quarterback. Because, honestly, I don't even think he was. And Chad Pennington had a chance to be the greatest quarterback for this organization. Was the most accurate, that's for sure. Shoulder problems and other problems over the years didn't work out for, obviously, Chad Pennington. He winded up going to Miami. He was a journeyman. But to me, as a Jet fan, he was the guy that stuck out to me the most. And it wasn't Mark Sanchez or Sam Donald who sees ghosts. I mean, honestly, this organization has had a bunch of garbage behind the line of center. Sam Darnold sees ghosts, Mark Sanchez sees uh, butt cheeks, and then Christian Hackenberg sees reporters and throws the football over there during training camp. So hopefully uh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't see anything with his ayahuasca. No. You want to know something? For everything that I've heard about ayahuasca, I I know a lot of people say you don't want to try it, but hey, you know what? Might as well. Maybe I'll hallucinate and... You know, forget where I am every single day. I mean, Jets Jets fans, (laughs) when they lose in the playoffs, will be taking ayahuasca. (laughs) You know what it is? I sit here, and and we go back and forth about this Aaron Rodgers thing, and this has nothing to do with the Jets. I haven't mentioned anything about the Jets, really. Really nothing. This has something to do with the Green Bay Packer fans. What is the hatred on this guy? He did nothing. He gave you a Super Bowl. I know he should have won more than one. No question. And he's one of those guys that would admit that he was better than that. But you look at this organization, and let's be honest here. Has the organization built around the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball over the last 10 seasons? The offensive side of the ball was Aaron Rodgers and everybody else. And don't bring up Aaron Jones. He wasn't a first-round draft. I think he was a third-round draft. No, he was later than that. So so you you didn't even know that Aaron Jones was going to be the player that he wants, what he is. You bring in Christian Watson, and you pretty much reached on Christian Watson Watson because you couldn't get Dotson. You couldn't get anybody in that draft because, hey, you know what? It fe- he, they fell out of the first round, and they got Christian Watson, and they landed. They actually they, they got the right guy. He fits what the, the Green Bay Packers like to do. 
And again, you also look at the Packers, the way they've drafted, too, in recent years. It seems like they draft a lot of very versatile-type hybrid players, but really nothing that looks like set in stone as an obvious starter either. Now, some of those players have turned out to be good. You look at somebody like Rashawn Gary, who's been a good pass rusher for them, a couple of their offensive linemen that have turned out to be good. But it's like they always draft these weird prototypes, too, and it's not like something that really ties into the today's game. And you look at teams trying to do that, trying to set the new trend of the league, and like it just doesn't work when Aaron Rodgers, you're trying to keep there, and he's getting disgruntled with the organization. You have to realize that to some extent. And I, the Packers, they were so stuck in their ways that it was very hard for them to do. And you're seeing a lot of those old school teams be like that. And that's why teams have been shying away from that too. I mean, it's worked for some teams, but again, teams like the Cowboys, teams like Washington that were stuck in their history, stuck in their ways, have still not been able to evolve to a certain extent. Even if they're good player development organizations too. I don't think the Packers are that bad of a player development organization, but they have just weird prototypes that they like to draft. And you, you look at Aaron Rodgers and you look at the division that he's in. You look at what competition he's going to have to go through this year to go to the Super Bowl and even make the playoffs. If Aaron Rodgers, for everybody that's attacked him, saying that he's washed up, he isn't the same quarterback, which I think is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous because he didn't throw 40 touchdowns. How many quarterbacks in the NFL threw 40 touchdowns last year? How many of them? Seriously, how many of them? Two? One? I think Patrick Mahomes was the only one that did that. I think Burrow did, too. I don't know if he did. You have to look, at, look that up, Speedy. I think, I, I think Patrick Mahomes was the only quarterback that threw over 40 touchdowns. And I'll, I will say this. And I, I, I will argue with anybody when you're trying to compare Aaron Rodgers to probably the majority of the quarterbacks that are in the NFL. And for Green Bay to come out and Green Bay fans to come out and say that we don't need Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love is going to take us to the next level. It is so hard. And by the way, the Green Bay Packers have had three Hall of Famers. Bart Starr, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers. And they practically went back to back to back. I mean, seriously. I mean, Brett Favre wasn't even drafted by Green Bay. I think he was drafted by Atlanta. Yeah, you're right. Burrow only at 35. Patrick Mahomes at 41. He was the only one. One guy threw over 40 touchdowns last year. One. And because Aaron Rodgers led the NFC with 27 touchdowns, he didn't have a good season. With a broken thumb, had a hurt hand. I mean, if you look at his fingers in the game, he had his hand taped. His thumb was taped and his two fingers were taped. How do you throw? How do you actually have accuracy when you throw the ball? It is, it's, it's very hard when you have a broken thumb, when you're squeezing in the cold with the ball being hard and making accurate throws. And he was as accurate as any quarterback in the NFL last year. What does that tell you for all you fans out there? Let's see when Jordan Love gets into trouble this year, what kind of excuses come out of your mouths? Uh, Carl says Bar's, Bart Starr was a quarterback in the 60s, not back-to-back-to-back, back back, but it's still three out of the last five Packer quarterbacks. I would say three out of the last four, if you really look at it. Yeah, I mean, they had the, whoever was in the 70s. I know that they had a bust in the 80s with Majewski and whoever the, the Carl, let me ask yeah. you a question. How many teams have had three Hall of Fame quarterbacks? How many teams? Not many. <laughs> Definitely not many. Well, yeah, if you have a quarterback for a while, they usually play a while. I mean, so. <laughs> you look at Indianapolis, they did. Johnny Unitas, Peyton Manning, and I believe, I believe Andrew Luck, one way or another, because he was such a good guy. I don't know if he played long enough, yeah. but he was right there. But I think the NFL, because he's such a good person, 
I, I wouldn't be surprised because we've seen guys get into the Hall of Fame in the NFL that shouldn't be there. So Andrew Luck, for the time that he was in the NFL, he was an elite quarterback. He was a top five quarterback in the NFL, and you couldn't even argue that. No, Carl, definitely not the Bears. Based on the stat I told you yesterday, where they never had a 40-yard, 40 40-touchdown 40 season or a 3,000-yard passer. And that's what it bothers me when everybody tries to compare organizations and how to find quarterbacks. How many first-round quarterbacks were duds? Sure. How many f- second-round quarterbacks were duds? And then you'll find a quarterback in the third, in the sixth round, and they become two of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. It doesn't happen. And, it, and again, you're reaching. Now, we don't know what Bryce Young is going to be this year. We don't know what C.J. Stroud's going to be. Now, there are a lot of people that believe that both quarterbacks are going to have problems in the NFL. Both, both of them. Those were the two one-two guys going into this year's draft. And then there's Richardson, who we're hearing he's going to be a run first, throw second, which is interesting if you're going to draft him in your fantasy drafts, because if he is something like Justin Fields, he'll be a pretty good fantasy guy to bring in as your second string quarterback. Yeah, but it doesn't make him an actually good quarterback that'll last either. It might just be another RG3. Uh, He's not built like Justin Fields. Yeah. Justin Fields is built like he's not human. Right. I mean, if you look at his body and his structure... Justin Fields, his body structure, for a guy with the speed that he has and what he could do running over people, he's like a running back in a quarterback's body. He's 230 pounds. Right, which is a lot like what Cam Newton was, too. And And he's not as tall as Cam Newton. He's not as tall as Cam Newton. I would say he was probably raw speed a little faster, Justin Fields, I would say. but Richardson's faster and taller, but he's not built like him. Mm -hmm. And doesn't have the passing traits that either one of them have yet. And we'll see if he gets there. We'll see if this coaching staff can have him get there, because otherwise it's going to be very hard for them. Because we've seen the wear and tear of of running quarterback, too, in – the NFL today, and that's why you're seeing teams like the Ravens with Lamar Jackson. They had to. Lamar Jackson said, "I'm not playing because I'm not going to wear out my body, and it might have to change his playing." And style Ben, you said Namath, Favre, and Rodgers. And by the way, I'm talking about quarterbacks that grew on those organizations, guys that were a part of those organizations for ten or you know fifteen significant years. Just so you know. Namath was the only quarterback out of the two. Favre and Rodgers are not Jets. They're Packers. They're looked at as Packers. So to say, well, the Jets had three uh, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, they didn't draft those two guys. They weren't a part of the organization. I mean, Favre was there for one year. Aaron Rodgers will probably be here for two. Namath was there for ten. He's the only one. I'm talking about guys that were built, where they were practically drafted. Obviously, Favre was drafted from Atlanta and then was traded to the Green Bay Packers. But that was like in the draft. I mean, honestly, he was a Green Bay Packer practically his whole career. And that's what you look at. That's the way I argue a point. There are not many teams that had three or even four Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It's not... It's unusual to see something like that. Now Jordan Love comes in and everybody says, oh, Jordan Love's the next guy. Next guy up. It doesn't happen. Ask the Giants. Right, because also quarterback, you want to have positional stability in too because it's a position that it's not like you have a defensive player or a running back that doesn't have the same shelf life either. So, a lot I d- of these- I, By the way, Ben, I did say the Packers didn't draft Brett Favre. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah. It was the Atlanta Falcons. I said that already. 
And if you want to use Ben's logic, I guess you can count the Chargers as maybe having three, but they didn't hold ben, on to Drew Brees. Ben, so. I'm not going to sit here and tell you crap that I don't know. I'm, I know where he was drafted. I know the Packers didn't draft him, but he was a Packer his whole career. He was a Packer his whole career. That's what he was. Yeah, he played for Minnesota. He played for the Jets. But for his majority of his career, he was on Atlanta. But he he was traded after the first year. Brett Favre was a Packer. Aaron Rodgers is a Packer. Those are the facts. And I, I'm so I'm so tired of listening to all the fans out there attacking this man when obviously. Some of the players don't hate him as much as everybody thinks they do because right. we've had four of them on. Four of them. Actually, both, I, I, we've had players that played with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and two of those guys said that Brett Favre's the biggest ass out of both of them. Another one reached out, too, and Dewan Harris, so we might have on later in the month, too. We'll see. Uh, who also played, I think, with three years for the Packers as well. So, yeah, everyone that's been on the show have said otherwise. Not like you uh, Packer writers have been saying, oh, he's uh, toxic, get him out of here. No, that's not going to happen. I think that when you think about comparing and contrasting certain quarterbacks in the NFL and and you want to you want to compare it to Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes is the factor now. Everybody wants to have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. But before Patrick Mahomes, who did everybody want to be like? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. That's the facts. Not and, and and I'm not saying that Tom Brady wasn't great, but Tom Brady wasn't the mobile and throwing quarterback. He was the present pocket quarterback. So was Peyton Manning. Everybody wanted a prototype Aaron Rodgers quarterback, a guy that can move inside and out of the pocket, make every single throw, and do the things that you expect a quarterback to do in this age of football. Right. And it still has some good mobility, too. It's not going to be great like it was five years ago, six years ago before all his injuries, but it's still going to be good enough. Not like uh, Tom Brady and Drew Brees later in the career that were so stoic in the pocket either. I think when... You, you go up and down some of these teams and these rosters now in the NFL... You can probably pick two handful of two handfuls of quarterbacks that you would take on any of these teams, and I don't even know if two handfuls two handfuls is 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 the right answer. I would say a, a handful and a half, right. eight quarterbacks that you would take on any single team. It's crazy, and by the way, yes, Carl, you we have the game on. Utah is slapping Florida right yeah, now. Not ideal for Wes's vets. Well, Vest, with Wes, he's never always right. So he, he believes that he is. He's got, he's got a couple other games, so we'll see if he makes up that kind of money. When we come back, for the first time on our show, we will be talking to ESPN Plus college football analyst and broadcaster Patrick Murray here on the Sports Loudmouth, here only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Yes, Speedy. He's not hanging from his underwear tonight, at least. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Yes, you can call the show. Jeff, I know you're pissed off at me. I know a lot of people think I banned him completely. I keep reading... Free Jeff on hashtag Free Jeff. I didn't 
ban him completely on the show. I just banned him last night. So he can actually come into the feed. He's being a baby, and he doesn't want to come into the feed because he's trying to make a point. So good for Jeff. I'm very excited uh, for Jeff to be the baby that he is, but that's just another story. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on our show, we're now talking to ESPN Plus college football analyst and broadcaster Patrick Murray. Patrick, what's up, man? I'm doing great. I'm watching Florida, Utah here. I got a uh, fantasy football draft going on and talking to you guys. So I uh, couldn't be better. Well, wow. we're happy to have you too, man. I mean, obviously, uh, I've checked you out on ESPN before. Uh, there's a lot to get into with college football because, uh, it, to me, this year could be very wide open. I know a lot of people think the Georgia Bulldogs are going to win a national championship again. It, it, it hasn't happened. I, I, when was the last time? A college team has won back to back to back championships. I mean, seriously, not in the AP poll era. It was it was like Minnesota in the 30s or something. <laughs> so if Georgia does it, it will be the first time in over what 80 years. So yeah. it, it's pretty amazing. And 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 I have to say something about the Georgia Bulldogs. We've interviewed a couple of them. They've been on our show. They're very good when it comes to personalities. They they have their uh, their egos, and they like to. Try to keep the egos down because obviously the coaching staff doesn't want them to blow themselves up. But you can tell they have that swag to them. So it's very intriguing. But before we get into it, um, how are you and your family doing from COVID? Uh, being that you're your first time on our show, I just want to know how everything is going with you and your family. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing good. Um, everybody's healthy. Uh, had, a, had a baby girl earlier, Congratulations, uh, man. earlier this year. Uh, so we've got two now. Uh, son's doing well. So yeah, we're happy. I don't have any kids. So, and I'm probably a significant age higher than you. So I don't know. How old are you, by the way? I'm 34. Uh, yes. So see, see, Speedy, go ahead, say it. Everybody that's younger than Errol is considered a baby in his logic. There we go. So you're a baby to me. So congratulations. I'm actually, okay. what, seven years older than him? I had to be seven years yeah, old. Yeah, you're right. In, uh, no, you're almost in between me and, uh, <laughs> like, you're almost between the two of us. I'm 28. He's 41. So yeah. you're almost right in between. I mean, I try to take right. care of myself, man. I, I, I am an old man. I mean, and people say I'm a baby, but to you guys, I'm, I'm an old man. But anyways, let's get out of This is not about me. This is about you. What is what has been your surprise this offseason going into the college season of football? Surprise this offseason, I'd say would be the uh the realignment. I, I didn't I didn't expect it to get that crazy. I thought, you know, we might wait a little bit. I thought the Pac twelve would get their T V deal done and, and maybe Colorado would leave and that would be it, but I didn't expect the, the whole thing to blow up uh that quickly. Yeah, the Pac-12. Like I, I saw something they wanted to offer fifty million dollars a school. I mean that that's crazy in itself. And now there's only supposed to be four teams left. So do you is it completely gone? Do you think there's any shot that they can get lure somebody else or keep somebody else there? Uh, I I think it's done. I mean there there may be a slim chance that they can pull in some other teams, but you know in the Mountain West they've got their exit fees and same thing in the American. I think. Uh, and then tomorrow, the ACC is supposed to be meeting to talk about adding Stanford and Cal and SMU. So I, I don't, I don't see the uh, the pack four or twelve or however number, <laughs> how many numbers it's going to be. I don't see it existing uh, next year. It'll be the Power Four and the Pack Four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, USC has a Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams. Uh, he's all over uh, commercials right now. As, as a matter of fact, I've seen him on Wendy's. I've seen him on a couple of watch commercials. I mean, this guy is, is he's probably making close to a million dollars this year. He's a multimillionaire before he even steps on an NFL field. Do you like the NIL deal? I've been, I've been preaching this for the last five years. I believe college players should be making money on their own, play, on their own names. I mean, uh, as we all know, the Johnny Manziel story, uh, even though at the time it wasn't allowed, look at Reggie Bush. He's suing the NCAA. What are your thoughts to the new NIL deals? Uh, I like it. I think it's gotten a little bit cra- – some of it's gotten a little bit crazy with the behind-the-scenes stuff, the pay-for-play stuff. But overall, I agree that the guys should have been able to, to make money off of themselves for a while. I mean, you had guys that had that were even doing things unre- completely unrelated to football. I remember there was a UCF punter that had a, a YouTube channel that was really popular that was completely unrelated to football. And he couldn't make any money off of it at all. And I just thought that that was ridiculous. So if a guy, if, you know, in a lot of these college towns, I spent a lot of time in Knoxville and any business in Knoxville would love to have any Tennessee ball, even if it was a, a third string middle linebacker, to have them come out to their business and promote their business. Uh, tons of businesses would do that and would pay for that. And I feel like the uh, the guys should be able to make their own money. Now, now I think it's it, it gets a little ridiculous with because because there's no regulation. It's just it's just the wild le- wild west right now, and you're getting <laughs> pay for play that it, it's not really. There's you know certain deals that aren't really deals with businesses, but I mean to see guys like Caleb Williams and then uh, Joe Milton and Sam Hartman getting the Beats by Dre deals <laughs> and like then giving the he- headphones to everyone on their team uh, for free and like stuff like that. It, it, is cool to see. And, and I'm glad guys are able to, to make money off all the hard work that they're putting in and, and everyone else is making money off of them. So uh, glad to see them finally be able to get theirs too. Yeah. So you, is there a way that you would try to balance that out in a way? Because I, you do feel bad for the player if they don't want to end up going to the school or getting the kind of deal that they want. And especially for somebody like Hartman, everything he had to go through last season. And, but is there a way that you would be able to balance that out where you, it's fair for both sides? I think it's going to be really tough to do. I mean, they're starting to try to get Congress involved now and, and pass a bill. And, and the NCAA is like afraid to enforce it because they got hammered by the Supreme Court in the last couple of years. And uh, so, I mean, I feel like you, there's got to be some kind of transparency in, in reporting the deals to a certain uh, governing body or something like that. So, so you can see that everything's on the up and up. But I don't know. I don't I don't see it happening anytime soon. We are talking to ESPN plus college football analyst and broadcaster Patrick Murray. Patrick, the portal has changed everything for college football. It really has. And you, you look at some of these teams, if a coach decides to retire or coach decides to change teams or he gets fired you you know in the olden days you have to stay with that team for a certain amount of time before you go into the NFL there is no way you can jump ship from one team to another now with the portal every single year you can jump ship you could play for USC you could play for UCLA you could play for Alabama if you want it's crazy what are your thoughts to the portal and the transition of what the portal has done for the NCAA the portal is crazy i mean there there's good and there's bad to it it's kind of fun 
it, it adds a fun element to it for college football fans in the off season, almost like an NFL free agency type of thing. It's like, okay, I know my team needs a wide receiver. If you're, you're a fan of a big power five team, it's like, who are we going to go get? Like we, we're a little thin at wide out. Let's see if, who can we go pick up from the portal? So it certainly adds a, an element of fun and, and it's kind of cool for the, for the players, especially some of the guys at the lower levels, if you're playing for an FCS team or like there's a guy, uh, Tyrese Chambers, who uh, a couple of years ago, he came out of Baltimore, you know, a uh, uh, tough place to to grow up where he grew up and he was kind of under recruited. He went to an FCS school, was an All-American as a freshman. And then FIU said, hey, come transfer here. He transfers to FIU, has a couple of huge seasons at FIU. And now he's at Maryland. And so he it's like he just kind of climbed the ladder through the transfer portal and of an under under recruited guy. Now all of a sudden he's at a power five school and he's got a, a chance to, to maybe go to the NFL if he can show what he can do. So I think that part of it is really cool uh, for some of the players to, to be able to earn their way up, up into the higher levels. I know it's really tough on the coaches. The coaches are, I was just talking to a, a coach yesterday that was like, talking about uh, how tough it is on them. So a lot of them want to complain about it, but, but they're adjusting to it. And, uh, I, there may be some more regulation coming there also. We'll see. But uh, I think overall it's it's added some excitement and it's good for the players. I think Deion Sanders loves it. That's for oh, sure. Yeah, he, he loves it as everybody wants to portal their way to Colorado. And and by the way, the story that came out just recently about Florida State and, and Deion Sanders is a very interesting story too because Deion Sanders, everybody knows, played for Florida State. And a lot of people believe that Deion Sanders is connected to Florida State and, and, and everybody believes that one way or another he could be the next Florida State head coach if if something happens in the next two two seasons which has been said it could happen it maybe by the end of this year so he might flee Colorado at the end of this year and go to Florida State so what are your thoughts to Deion Sanders and if that is true I mean obviously both schools can get in a lot of trouble uh what are your thoughts to that story that came out uh I think it was 48 hours ago I didn't even really see that to be honest uh but I, I, I definitely think that Dion is looking to to make a jump whenever he can. He's looking to to climb the ladder. He, Colorado was was an opportunity for him to to get in uh, at the Power Five level, and um, he's definitely going to be looking to to go to a bigger school when he gets the opportunity. But uh, Mike Norvell's got got it going uh, pretty well right now mm-hmm. uh, at Florida State, and they're they they could be a playoff team this year. So I'm interested to see what they do this year. I don't know if you're going to be able to, to to kick him out of Tallahassee even, <laughs> if, even if you can get Dion. They might have to Norvell Norvell's going to have to flee, and he'll get a go big contract somewhere else, and he'll outdo yeah, he's Dion. He's going to have to go to the NFL or something yeah. like that. I can see that kind of thing happening though, because his offense at Memphis was very creative too, and it, I'm surprised it took him that long to really get a Power Five job the way they did, especially with all the. Florida State head coaches that were so bad after Jimbo Fisher left. Yeah, I mean they they had a tough time, and and, and even it took Norvell a little while to get it going. I mean, I think a lot of people were were wondering if he was even going to be the guy, if they were going to have to, if you know, after uh, Dion, they were talking about Dion, uh, you know, before last year as maybe a possibility at Florida State, but then Norvell really really turned it on and got the Seminoles back in contention last year. I'm actually reading another story that just came out about nine hours ago that Deion Sanders blessed Danny Cannell over the Florida State friction. So uh, I, now there's, there's an article here, which I haven't read, which I'm definitely going to read when we go to break. Uh, I'm a Florida State fan, 
anybody that knows me, I've been rooting for Florida State since the 90s when they played Miami. And uh, I, I loved when Florida State was kicking the you-know-what out of them. And then when Miami was kicking the you-know-what out of them, I, I just couldn't watch college football the same. But I've been a Florida State fan. Um, the last time we've seen it was Jameis Winston winning a national championship. And uh, then he was stealing crabs from stores. So, I, I mean, I, I mean, Jameis Winston has really been a, just a fallout for the NFL. And, and so is Marcus Mariota, if you remember that draft class. As everybody knows, we are talking to ESPN Plus college football analyst and broadcaster Patrick Murray. Patrick, you look at the NFL and some of these kids that come out of college football and they go into the NFL and they want to make millions and millions of dollars. And, and, and over the last couple of weeks, the running backs have been really taking been taking the the league has taken shots out of running backs in the NFL and that they're not respected like they should be for what the type of beating they get every single year when on the field. What are your thoughts if you were a college running back and you want to go to the NFL? Do you do you change positions knowing that you're not going to have a long career as a running back. That you can play the cornerback position. You can play the free safety position uh, because you're athletic. If you were a player right now as a college player and you're you're in your fourth year or your third year and you're ready to go ready to go at the combine, do you change positions knowing that you're you're not appreciated as a running back? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, so tough for running backs right now. I think it kind of depends on where you are in the pecking order. You know, if, if you're one of the guys like like a B. John Robinson or a Saquon Barkley, where you're going to be a high first round pick and you think maybe, okay, maybe I can be good enough to get that second contract and, and get that big money. Now, obviously that's still not even happening for a, for Saquon, but uh, in that case, maybe you push it and you go for it. Or, or if you're a guy that's more of a fringe draft guy, well, maybe it's an opportunity for you now that teams are looking to say, well, we don't want to pay a veteran running back. We're, we want to just draft another rookie and just beat him up for a few years and then draft another one. Well, maybe it's an opportunity that way for, for a guy that maybe otherwise wouldn't have uh, had as big of a chance in the NFL. But if you're one of those guys that's maybe going to be a third fourth round pick as a running back if you're a good if you can be a good receiver I'd say hey yeah go go see if you can play a receiver because uh, that's what the NFL is all about right now is is uh, receivers and there's so much depth there that 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 even makes it hard but yeah if you can if you can go play receiver and get paid that's the way you're going to get paid right now. Yeah, I wanted to ask from a conceptual standpoint, too, because of how powerful the transfer portal is, too. Like, we talk about, like, styles of play. Like, the Big Ten has a lot of still run-and-gun type teams. Michigan's been like that. Wisconsin was, and maybe just now with the new coaching change. SEC schools, some of them, it took a while of them involved. Do you think that'll end up making a difference to prospects, like, at the running back position or even one of those higher-skilled offensive players to go for a more spread offense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even for for running backs, if you're in one of those offenses that are going to throw the ball more, that you can showcase your your receiving ability a little bit more and and see if uh, if you're more valuable that way. That that may be something that uh, you lean towards. Patrick, obviously, the two teams that everybody's been talking about going into this year is Georgia and Michigan. As we know, Jim Harbaugh will be suspended for the first three games because of his stupidity and his big friggin' mouth. And I say this about Jim Harbaugh. He should have stayed in the NFL. As good of a coach he is, uh, what he showed over the last two years with Michigan, they can't get over the hump, and for some reason they can't get over Georgia or Alabama. So it's been a huge problem for Michigan. But nevertheless, he's a good coach. 
he had a chance. He interviewed for the Denver job. He interviewed for a couple of jobs in the last couple of years. He decided not to take the jobs, go back to Michigan, extend his contract. This year, you look at Georgia and you look at Michigan, as good as Georgia is on paper, as good as Michigan is on paper, there are quite a few teams that really stand out. LSU is another team that people believe could really take that jump this year. Also, Penn State, a team that's loaded this year with their young quarterback. What are your thoughts? Do you believe one of these teams that you wouldn't expect to jump over Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State this year? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that we could have a year of chaos this year in college football. I think we're due for one. It, you know, it's it's kind of been the, the same old. It's been the Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. You know, Michigan's gotten in there. It's been the same old teams for a while. I, I think we could have a year of chaos this year because there are so many of those interesting teams that, that are right on the fringe. Like you said, with Penn State, I mean, Ohio State's going to be good again. Um, and, and there's even some teams, you know, that not everyone's thinking about Texas A&M, mm-hmm. a lot of question marks, but they're super talented. They could be a surprise team. Uh, you mentioned LSU out in the pac 12. There's like five different teams there that I think uh, are really interesting USC, Oregon, even Oregon state, uh, uh, Utah that we're watching tonight. Washington uh, could be really good. Uh, the, I think there's a chance for chaos this year. And then you throw in Notre Dame and, and the schedule is really interesting too. Notre Dame plays Clemson and Ohio state and USC. So th- those are some really big time, big time games. And, and then out in the big 12, uh, Texas is looking really good this year. They could, could have the best team they've had in, in over a decade. And I think people are sleeping on Oklahoma too. I think they're going to be better than people think. So I'm hoping for a year of chaos. I'm hoping mm. we see a, a lot of upsets and, we see some new teams in the playoff. I'm with you on Oklahoma because I liked I liked them finally hiring Venables, and it looked like it was going good for a while, and then they had a bad losing streak. And I, I, Texas, we'll see if they can get it going. It's every year they have hype, and they never end up doing it. Yeah, it's always Texas is back. Texas is back. No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe the Pac-12. That's exactly what they need. Just a year of chaos to finally get a team into the playoff. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the one thing I'm worried about with the Pac-12 is is that you know they all have to play each other, and they're all they all seem to be so good. I don't know if one of them comes out of there with less than two losses. So I always we'll buy see. on Oregon every year, and they always seem to just have one annoying loss. I love their jerseys. I'm a big, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a big jersey oh, fan. Yeah. Uh, I, I love their colors. I love everything about Even their third jerseys are fantastic. I'm actually probably going to buy a jersey with my name on the back of it just because it's hot. And I, and I don't wear <laughs> other teams' jerseys except college sports. I usually mm-hmm. wear only my sports teams that I root for, and I get jerseys different colors and whatever. But uh, Perfect for Oregon. And it's yes. like 20 different combinations. I, I was going to say, I, hmm. I wouldn't even be able to pick which one I wanted to buy with Oregon. I mean, they have so many good ones. Well, I love part. the Oklahoma State jersey colors. Remember the orange colors? Yep. Uh, with uh, I'm a big Barry Sanders fan growing up. Mm-hmm. So I have his jersey, and everybody sees it. It's authentic. And they're like, where did you get that jersey, man? I was like, dude, I've had that jersey for like 13 years. It's just nice because yeah. I barely wear it. And I, one of these days, I want Barry Sanders to sign in. I want to plaque it, awesome. but... It's it's a beautiful jersey, and I I love the college college sports. As far as I'm concerned, the college jerseys are so much nicer than the NFL jerseys. So much nicer, no question. Yeah, Houston. Did, I don't know if you saw Houston just came out with ones that yeah. are like uh, tributes to the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's those cool. Look pretty cool. 
FIU's got the Vice City uh, alternates this Love year. Love those, too, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and, and, and the NBA is trying to do that, too. I mean, they have these third, fourth jerseys. I mean, I saw the Golden State jersey, and I'm not a Golden State fan. I hate the Golden State Warriors, but I love their, like, fourth jerseys. So I bought it with my name on the back of it. Not because I like the Golden State Warriors, just because I love the colors, and they're unique, and they're cool. But a- Anything's better than their, their the town ones that were just black, <laughs> and like it looks like oh. it was, like, Ugly. It looks like it was sewn together. Now we, we say yeah. fugly, you know, and I'm not going to say it on live radio what it means, but I think everybody has the thoughts of what fugly means. But anyways, uh, we, we are talking to ESPN Plus college football analyst and broadcaster Patrick Murray. Patrick, uh, there are a lot of coaches that have their own thoughts of the NIL deal. I mean, one of them is from Clemson. The other one's from Bama. Uh, Ole there Miss. Are, yeah, Old Miss. I mean, they don't like the NIL deals because they don't like players making money close to them. Or And, and I look at college coaches right now, the amount of money these guys are making, some of them are making more money than NFL coaches. Do you like what the NCAA has turned into when it comes to college coaches? Do you think college coaches should have a cap? just like some of these players do in, in professional sports? I don't know if we should have a, a cap on it, but, I mean, it's it's just gotten so crazy with all the TV money and and then the, the donor money, and, and there's, there's, like, nowhere to, to put the money because you don't have to play the pay the players. You're building these ridiculous facilities that Clemson's got, like, a lazy river and a mini golf course and a nap <laughs> room and – and like they just keep building all this crazy stuff in the facilities because they're so you know the athletic departments are nonprofits so to speak they got to spend the money every year that they make and they no, don't have to play the, pay the players so the coaching salaries keep going higher and higher and higher and then the facilities keep getting more and more ridiculous uh, so I think at some point something's going to give. I think eventually the players are going to get some kind of revenue sharing type of deal. And then you'll see the coaching salaries maybe come down a little bit. And in terms of the TV money, I don't, you know, it keeps going up and up and up. I think at some point it's going to, it's going to stop. I don't think it's going to keep going up. So, so what you're saying is we should all want to be a college coach. Is that what you're trying to say? If you want to, if you want to make money, Go become a college football coach. That's what you should do. Because yeah, if, if you're willing to grind, if you're willing <laughs> to grind, do it. Uh, but it's crazy though. I mean, some some of the guy are the money gets ridiculous for some of the guys. But some of the other guys, I'm like, man, they deserve it because the, the hours that they work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard Saban one day talking about last year, and this is Alabama, so I don't know if everybody does does this. But last year, out of the 52 weeks in the year, they worked a seven day week. 44 weeks wow <laughs> they're i mean they're working every day and um and i think the reason why they they complain about nil and the transfer portal so much is it just adds more work onto onto the work they've already got and mm. um the schedules are insane for the coaches i mean some of them are sleeping in their offices i remember when i was in knoxville butch jones was the head coach at tennessee and he he would say uh you know, he'd go to bed at 1 a.m. and then his alarm would go off at 5. And, and his wife would say, what are you doing? And he would say, I'm building a football program. <laughs> and so, he, you know, he would get his four hours of sleep at night and right back in the office. So, uh, yeah, I think some of those guys deserve it, the, the way that they grind. That's Errol Sleep Satchel, so maybe he'll be good at the Division One coach. Let me tell you something, Pat. <laughs> I, I do not sleep. I have sleep apnea. I, my brain just keeps moving. 
And then I'll wake up at 3, 3.30 in the morning. I wake up. I go to the bathroom, wash my face. And then, you know what? I go in, I go and I, I pop on the TV and I'm trying to find something to watch. And during the college football season, hey, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, on ESPN, they're replaying these games. So I'm yeah. sitting there watching. I'm screaming. And if my girl's here, she's, she's, she's in the other room. She's like, what the hell is he doing over there? And she looks around the corner. And I'm watching a college football game. So, hey, you know what? I probably could be a college coach because I don't sleep so there you go for all the college fans out there if you're looking for a coach that you've never heard of and a guy that's probably crazy enough to take over a job that he probably uh you know setting and trying to pick his coaching staff i probably picked the wrong guys hire me i'm the guy as long as you're not coaching wisconsin (laughs) i hate wisconsin by the way i am not a badger fan and then my i have a lot of friends that are badger fans and they're like why do you hate the badgers so much it's because growing up, I've been a Duke Blue Devil fan, and they always played Wisconsin, and I couldn't stand the Badger fans. I couldn't stand Wisconsin and those ugly red jerseys. So you know what I do? I just root against them. That's what I do. So there you go. Uh, Carl also says, yes, Tulane does have some sweet color packages as well. Mm. So I want to go to the story that came out today about the college football playoff expansion. It might be potentially being either changed or delayed because of everything that's gone on with the realignment. The Pac-12 might only have four teams left in it. So is there still a a chance for the 12-team next year? Or what do you think is a more likely proposal if that's not the case? I think we're still going to have the 12-team. I think what may change is how they uh, give out the, the, the slots. So right now they've got it as, you know, the, the top six ranked conference champions are getting in, and then you have six at-large teams. I think they're looking to take away one of those conference champions since the, since the Pac-12 probably won't exist. They might want to knock that down to five and, and get some more at-large teams in there. I think that's what they're looking to do, but they're they're waiting to see what's going to happen here with, uh, you know, who what's going to happen with the Pac-12. Is it going to completely go away or where are Stanford and Cal going to go or, or what's going to happen? And then they can make their decision from there. Pat, quickly, before we let you go, who do you have going one, two, three, four, and five in this year's, well, next year's NFL draft for what you see so far or what you believe you're going to see this year in college football? Um, I I think right now it's got to be Caleb Williams, number one. Marvin Harrison Jr. is definitely in there. Everybody's talking Drake May. I I think he's got a shot to be up there. Um, Probably go with an offensive tackle in Olu Fushanu at uh, Penn State. Mm. And then give me Jared Verse from FSU Mm. to, to round it out. Quarterback year, baby. Quarterback year. I, I, I believe there'll be five quarterbacks drafted in the first round this coming. So? Absolutely. I, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting quarterbacks really, you know, move up on the draft board, especially at the combine. You see that all the time. Look at Richardson. Did anybody oh, yeah. think Richardson yeah. was going to be a top dead yeah. pick? I mean, yeah. seriously. It always ends up that way. Quarterback ends, you know, even if you're only talking about two of them at the beginning of the year, but by the draft time, we're talking about six or seven of them. And Joe Milton might be the, the Anthony Richardson of this year. That, oh, that's what I'm saying. Also, also, also quickly in your, your year of chaos, national champion, who you got? Uh, I'll give you my four for the playoff. It may be not as crazy as you think. I'm going Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, and Utah. Mm. Oh, Wes is not going to want to hear Utah. Well, we're friends. We're <laughs> friends with uh, Mr. Riley Leonard, yes. and uh, they're playing Clemson on Monday. I hope they surprise and shock the world and knock off Clemson. I would love to see the players on the sideline, including their 
big mouth coach go crying to the press that they cheated because he likes yeah. to do that, by the way. So hey, Riley Leonard could be one of those surprise first round. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We love him. We, we love him. He's been on our show since high school. Uh, last year, he had a, a fantastic year, and I think this year it's going to be even better. And, and Riley really has bragged about his team. Uh, really going into last year and now this season, he believes they have the weapons to surprise a lot of people. Right now, they're not ranked in the top 25, but I believe in the first two or three weeks, he, they could jump uh, a lot of these teams. I, I think they, they could be very impressive. And He's an impressive kid. If you ever talk to Riley Leonard, he's funny, he's outgoing, he takes all the blame when the team does not play well, and he reminds me of a better Daniel Jones. That's what he reminds me of. I think he's a better... You know, athletic, talented quarterback like, and they're the same size. They're, they're practically the same weight when they play college ball. I think Riley has a better arm, and I think he's more accurate, and he's just as fast. He says he can run. He said he can run his forty and four four five. I think he said four six. If he can run that, he's definitely faster than Daniel Jones. I'm I think excited it'll be fun. to see him this year. So my man, we we love him. And uh, Riley, you see, we're even giving compliments with Patrick Murray if he's actually broadcasting with you this year or for one of those Duke games, uh, you know, we know that Patrick loves him too. So there you go, Riley. You got another analyst that absolutely loves you and thinks you could possibly be a first-round draft pick. So there you go. I'm happy about that. Anyways, Patrick, we really appreciate the time. You're fantastic. Keep up the good work. We'll get you on uh, closer to the end of the college season because I would love to hear your thoughts to the Final Four and where – uh, where the national championship could go uh, very close to the end of the season. Yeah, sounds good. Appreciate it, guys. Had fun. You too, man. Patrick Murray, broadcaster for ESPN Plus College Football Analyst. He's fantastic. It's the first time he's been on our show. Uh, very interesting because there's a lot of things that he gave us with the NIL deals and even what's going on with the portals. And that's what I want to know. When, when we talk to different analysts that work, especially in college football, I want to know their opinion. Where do they think the portal is going to go? Now you're hearing he was telling you that some of these players could get the revenue of the money of the TV deals, which is very interesting. And I'm interested to see how the NCAA is going to divvy that out with, right. the, with the deals. Yep. So it, it's interesting. It really is. College football has been such a growing sport. And it's, I believe it's bigger than the NFL. I really do. I mean, throughout the football season, the college football season, I think there are more people watching college football than the NFL. Oh, quantity-wise, yeah, because of the immense student section. So, like, every school, like, it's going to add up over time, too. And now you're getting these uh, these schools that are going to be in these all these expanding conferences. Like we were saying, the Pac-12 will probably end up folding, but everything else, like, getting that recognition that didn't have before. We're, we're still going to see Cincinnati and Houston and BYU in the Big 12 this year, and probably a lot of those schools down the road that are right now group of five going to be in other conferences down the road, too, because it's really just going to be the four conferences left if the Pac-12 folds, unless something else really emerges as being like that other fifth power five conference if you're a rams fan right now you cannot be happy about this story and if you draft cooper cup in any of your drafts this is not a good story ladies and gentlemen rams wide receiver cooper cup is day-to-day after a hamstring setback if anybody knows anything about the wide receiving position when you hear hamstring at any point of the year and somebody has it ask odell beckham you're not starting the season in a very good place. And even when he does come back, and if he, if he does come back week one, they're going to be very, very hesitant to 
passing the ball as much as they usually would look to throw the ball to him because of the hamstring problem. I, I think Cooper Cup is one of the top three, top four wide receivers still in the NFL. I think he's probably the second best route runner in all of football. The problem with Cooper Cup that I have worried about over the last couple of years is, one, they don't have another wide receiver. So he will be double and triple teamed at some point this year with the young players that they're playing. That's why Matthew Stafford is not happy being over there and playing with rookies. And number two that I you have to look at is Cooper Cup can't stay healthy. Carl says uh, Cooper Cup and Jerry Judy stay away. Yes, Errol did that yesterday. He was mm-hmm. offered a trade with Jerry Judy and did not want that. By the way, by the way, and I, I love you, James. And I, I, if you're listening to the show right now, he's trying to now trade me Drake London oh, for, of course, for Walker. He will not trade me Calvin Ridley. Now, Calvin Ridley, I decided not to draft. I was picking before James was in the Beavs draft, and I picked Walker. I picked him because I thought he was going to have the better season. I wanted to stack up on running backs because I knew people were going to come to me and ask me if uh, I would trade them one of my best running backs. Now he wants – I told him, give me Calvin Ridley and I'll give you Walker. He will not trade me Calvin Ridley. He won't trade me Diggs. He won't trade me anything that I want, but he'll trade me all the garbage that he's willing to give me. And he says, Jerry Judy is supposed to be a better player than Ridley. Well, if you're trading me, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a guy that is rated higher than the running back that I have, that doesn't mean that I'm going to trade him. And that doesn't mean that he will be. Carl also says Wisconsin, the Dairy Raid. Wisconsin basketball is a horrible brand of basketball to watch. And Josh, who's a Wisconsin fan, we actually did agree with that for a while. Uh, Bama coming down here to play USF. Carl, if you do, do go to that game, enjoy. Uh, Florida, yes, definitely does look real slow. And their defense is not playing well either, which is not ideal. Against a Utah team that's playing without Cameron Rising. So they're with a backup quarterback. You know, there is another story right now that I want to get into because... Uh, we will get into the college football situation because there's a lot of uh, rule changes that could happen or might not happen. But this is the story. Uh, Adam Scheffner reports that Tyreek Hill will not receive any discipline from the NFL after his altercation with the marina worker in June. The employee and Hill reached a settlement in July and did not file any criminal charges against Hill. Hill had a previous child abuse accusation in 2019, but those charges were dropped and did not get suspended for from the NFL. Hill has also mentioned he is likely only wants to play two more seasons, NFL seasons, and has an out in his contract in 2025. Hill had 119 catches, 1,710 yards, seven touchdowns last season in, in, in his first year with the Dolphins. I like Tyreek Hill. I think he's one of the more talented, small, wide receivers we've seen in the NFL in the really the last 20 years. He is a fantastic talent. He was found really in the sixth round, I think it was. He was a late-round draft pick. He was real, they were really reaching on him. Uh, he fell the way he did because of the child abuse accusations. And he was really drafted as a punt returner. He was not drafted as a wide receiver. He proved to Andy Reid and obviously Patrick Mahomes that he has the hands and he has the ability because of his speed, the cheetah speed that he has, that he could be an elite wide receiver. He showed everybody in two or three seasons that he could do that. He won a Super Bowl, and now look at him. He is making a ton of money over there in Miami and really just doesn't shut the hell up. 
Well, yeah, we always do it in a big mouth. And, again, the NFL is going to not use this against the rest. No charges. I guess they're going to use that as a parallel to this point. Uh, again, I, they must have had a settlement. They said the settlement was unknown. But, again, Tyree Kill was screaming at the guy, oh, I could go buy your boat. So, Anytime you hear a settlement, you know he's guilty. Anytime you hear that a player is willing to make a settlement, they're guilty. They're settling because they know they're guilty mm-hmm. and that they have to go through court and the system. They can go to jail. Unless you kill somebody. Right. And that's obviously we, we've seen a running uh, a wide receiver in Suggs uh, not, uh, you know, not doing the right things. And, and it's not funny. I mean, he killed a woman and a dog. And now he's going to jail for, what, three years now? Mm-hmm. Something like that? And as a tight end, they played for the Patriots that also did that. So. Yes. If, if you kill somebody, you're going, you're going to go to jail, no matter what, who and what you are as a player, as an NFL superstar, as a college superstar, you're going to go to jail. But Tyreek Hill and these NFL players, they're getting away with murder because they have so much money, they can buy their way out of things. And the NFL has to look at this because... This story obviously was true. And why isn't the NFL suspending him? Because he's a superstar. And if they can hide it and brush it under the rug, the NFL has done that. There has been times over many, many years of domestic violence in professional sports where it's been brushed under the rug. Ray Rice was going to be, that, was real, that story was going to be brushed under the rug yep. until the video came out. The Kareem Hunt situation would have been brushed under the rug if the video didn't come out. And that's the thing. The, the Brown thing with the New York Giants, oh, yeah. uh, and I mean, that was a debacle. They gave him an extension while this was going on for years with his wife and his children. And then finally it came out because of a story, supposedly, of one of his players or one of his, uh, his teammates that saw things happening behind closed doors when they were there. I think the Rams kept him on the team, too, when he, when he did it, before he came to the Giants. I mean, and the NFL did nothing for a very long time. They were getting away with it. And that's the problem with professional sports, because when you have money and you're a superstar, you, you, you tend, as an organization, or as a billion-dollar organization, to brush things under the rug. And you don't want to set that standard either because, yes, t- he, my, this incident might be not as big as, like, Ray Rice's or, like, Greg Hardy's was really bad, too. When He, he knocked the to, guy out. Yeah. Now, again. Tyreek Hill knocked this guy out. Right. And you don't want to set a standard for, like, you being able to get away with that for these other players and just think, okay, I'm an NFL player. I won't get suspended type thing because you don't want to have that kind of reputation across the league either with all these other players that may end up doing it, too, and not get away with it like Tyreek Hill does. I heard it wasn't even just Tyreek Hill. It was his friends too they were involved with it oh yeah too. they all wanted to get on the boat i think it was like three of them yep. or four of them yep. that were, abu- were abusing this guy and he was only doing his job because obviously it was uh over the time that they could be in the marina and they he told them no and tyree kill because he's a professional athlete because he's a star he doesn't like the word no and we've seen this before i was watching and believe it or not I, I've been watching, and I never got a chance to see uh, Leaving Neverland with Michael Jackson. And I never really got a chance to understand the story until I've been watching this documentary, and it's disgusting. It's an absolute disgusting story. And a lot of people want to deny that it was true. And I'm not here to get into Michael Jackson. I'm not. But Michael Jackson said something uh, to one of the mothers, and he said, he says, 
I get what I want. And why did he get what he want? Because he was a superstar and everybody wanted to be around him. Kids, moms, sisters, brothers, fathers, mothers, they all wanted to be around him because he was the greatest pop star in the world. And he said, I always get what I want. And money talks. Money talks in professional sports, in the music world, in anything in the entertainment world. These guys could get away with anything. Anything. Because they're the center of attention. They're, everybody wants to be them. And now you look at Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill knows that he can get away with it. Look, he got away with it again. This is the, what, second or third time he's been caught? Second time in the NFL and then the other time in Oklahoma State. It's been three times. program and then go to UAB. Three times it's happened to this guy, and this guy gets away with it. Why? Because he's Tyreek Hill. You don't want to have that standard if you're to the NFL, but who knows? What's next? <laughs> it's Roger Goodell. What's next? Uh, he kills somebody or is a part of the, you know, a part of something? Because we've seen something from an old cornerback for the New York Giants, uh, Mr. Roger Rabbit over there. Uh-huh. Uh, he had nothing to do with it, by the way. I'm not going to throw him on the bus. But when he was on vacation, his brother killed somebody in his basement and wrapped his body and left it in the corner. And, and for some reason, he knew nothing about it, mm-hmm. which for some reason I think that's not true but I but it's not me to say I'm not a lawyer I'm not an I'm, I'm not a judge so whatever the truth is is the truth his brother went to jail and he obviously finished his career in the NFL but I mean that was a crazy story too how did he not get suspended yeah and Quentin Dunbar was the other one implicated in that too and he, they got the same punishment and he and, actually did and, something and then there are guys that rookies the Giants drafted in Baker yep. who never had a career because he was wrongly accused of something he didn't do right so, and look at him. His career is over. How about the kicker, the punter from the Buffalo oh, Bills? Saw, yeah. uh, who got it? Re- he, he got drafted in the second or third round, and he's been jumping from team to team, trying to make a team. Uh, he obviously got dropped by the Buffalo Bills, and then when the story came out and everything was investigated, he had nothing to do with it. His career was over before it even started. Yes, Carl, we do not need a bunch of Ray Carruths running around. That is no, also that's another thing. If yeah. you don't know the Ray Carruth story, I mean, that's a terrible story, too. Killed his wife. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's terrible. And Ray Carruth was a decent football player. I think he was a wide receiver. Yeah. And he was a decent football player. I think he played for the Bears. I played for Carolina, I think, when I first started watching. But maybe he played for the Bears, too, before my time. Yeah. So I, I think that when you you look at the NFL and, and the way the NFL is controlling their players, they're not controlling them enough. You pay, you're overpaying a, uh, a commissioner that really – even though he's helped the money come in, I mean, me and you could help and bring in endorsements and, and advertisements when you're the biggest organization, sports organization in the world, and you you can draw anything from any TV deals and new DV deals because there's so much money. And ask the Amazon owner over there. I mean, uh, he, he, he opened up and started his own network on Amazon Prime, which now people are making more money in Amazon Prime hosting their show than you are on ESPN or even CBS Sports Radio. Mm-hmm. And it's going to continue to be that way with all these streaming services coming. Oh, he didn't out, play so. with the Bears. Okay, okay, I he didn't play with the Bears. I definitely remember Carolina. That's about it that I remember because he was a little before my time. I do remember the Ray Carruth story, and uh, it's a horrible story. And it's just, and but the, this has been going on forever. I'm not saying every NFL play is killed. I mean, no. the Greg Hardy thing. I mean, that's oh, that dis- was horrible. That's yeah. despicable what he did to his, his girlfriend. And you know what? He never went to jail because he paid off his girlfriend after he almost killed her. Mm-hmm. And, of course, leave it to the Dallas Cowboys to give him a contract. <laughs> I think when you 
understand where the NFL is going, and, and obviously the product is growing, and it's growing every single year, and you have a new star coming out of college every single year. Uh, this year it's Robinson. Everybody thinks that this kid is going to be an explosive offensive guru uh, for the Atlanta Falcons, and he's going to take uh, the running back position to another level. He reminds me of a Josh Jacobs. That's who he reminds me of. So Pay, pay him now before they won't be able to get his money. <laughs> I mean, they probably will. The way the running backs don't make anything. I mean, you might as well over I extend his rookie contract because uh, after five or six years, he's not worth anything, so you can get rid of him. Carl says Ray Lewis' Super Bowl co- story was never uncovered. Either. No, that's true, too. I mean, the Ray Lewis story. He was a part of the murder, yep. and, and he got rid of his clothes. And somehow, paying off uh, the family, it, everything disappeared. Everything disappeared because he got rid of the evidence, and they couldn't find the evidence. <laughs> and and that's the, that's crazy to say. And Ray Lewis is a nice guy. And, and by the way, what happened to his son is just disgusting oh, and yeah. terrible. Uh-huh. May he rest in peace, uh, Ray Lewis. I think it was Ray Lewis Jr. Yep. Um, it's a terrible story what happened to his uh, his son overdosing on drugs. And you know, it's been going on. I mean, I, I think a swimmer just died, an Olympic swimmer that just passed away for an overdose. So it, it, it's crazy what's going on in professional sports because you know everybody has. Something that they do that interests them, either drugs, drinking, smoking cigarettes, whatever they do, you can't control an athlete. You can't control a person if they have, you know, they have their own thoughts of what they want to take and and the way they want to live their lives. And now you're seeing certain things happening. And now not only college sports, but the professional sports are trying to figure out how to, you know, help the pandemic and, and help these kids and help these young men. Uh, get through with their careers and obviously have long-lasting lives with their families. And mental health, too. Dak yeah. Prescott was a big advocate of that during COVID, and I think a lot of other ones have rippled a ripple effect, too. That started nicely. Yeah, and, and that's why this Tyreek uh, Hill story where, again, Tyreek Hill gets away with it, and the NFL just sits there and says, eh, who cares? It's Tyreek Hill. We know how dumb he is. So... Uh, the Vikings signed TJ Hawkinson to a four-year, $68.5 million deal, making him the highest-paid tight end in in the NFL and NFL history. Hawkinson's deal is $17.125 million per year, $42.5 million guaranteed. Hawkinson had 60 catches, 519 yards, three touchdowns in 10 games with the Vikings last season after getting traded by the Lions. Hawkinson has 246 catches, 2,587 yards, 18 touchdowns in four NFL seasons. The Vikings now have $6.79 million in cap space after this move. The Vikings have other notable player to players to sign, including offensive lineman Garrett Bradbury, Brian O'Neill, and pass rusher Dan Neal Hunter, and uh, receiver Justin Jefferson, who, by the way, is going to make a lot of money. Oh, yeah, he's surpassing Tyreek Hill, $30 million a year. <laughs> oh, he's going to make a lot of money. Is it Tyreek Hill, thirty million, or is it? It's thirty Adams? million. I think Adams is twenty-eight something. Yeah. And Hill is thirty. Tyreek Hill is making way too much money. <laughs> I don't care what he puts. He justified up. it the last year, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, down the road. Well, he had seven touchdowns and, and, and seventeen hundred yards. Yeah, seventeen hundred yards in all scrimmage yards. I mean, catching, throwing, uh, and running, and all that other stuff. I, I mean, those were all all around yards. I, here's the thing. I, I think that when you look at Tyreek Hill and what he's all about, you know that it, it, with Waddle on the other side, it's going to open up the field for him. And I think this year teams are going to make Waddle beat them. 
I, I really do. I think they're going to take Tyreek Hill out of the game and let. And why? By the way, when Tyreek Hill doesn't get to see the ball, he's just like Diggs. He's a crybaby. He is an absolute crybaby. So I, I remember the game against the Jets and and when Quinn Williams ran him over. And after the game, and some of the things that he said, and it was he's like, "Hey, listen, we're not at full strength." He was making excuses. Everything that comes out of Tyreek Hill's mouth is an excuse. But this T.J. Hawkinson move is a fantastic move for the Vikings. Uh, after deciding to uh, part ways with Dalvin Cook, they would not extend him, which I don't understand, and maybe. Uh, a gift to the New York Jets this this coming season because now the Jets have a running back that can actually be the second guy right behind Brees Hall and really has uh, the Jets have the most dynamic running game in all of football. But not even that. T.J. Hawkinson is a guy that uh, it was a top draft pick, a top ten draft pick, yeah. I think he was, uh, and and a guy that really couldn't develop in Detroit, maybe because of the quarterback play, maybe because of the transition of new coaches. But uh, he has really found his way in Minnesota, and it's a great story. I think 17 uh, million and having the, the biggest tight end contract in NFL history really stands out to what they think he could be this year, having better numbers than he had last year. I mean, 519 yards and three touchdowns is not what you call a fantastic year. I mean, the Travis Kelsey the uh, Travis Kelsey numbers are fantastic. I mean, a guy out of over 1,000 yards, 15 points in fantasy. We heard it, and I think out of 12 or 13 touchdowns. Right. You don't see that from a tight end. You see that from a wide receiver. So when you look at TJ Hawkinson and the money that he's getting, I mean, what do you think Travis Kelsey is going to get after next year. Yeah, and also Hawkinson, I think, was able to really build off that wide receiver or that wider receiving tight end type year because he finally had that kind of consistent production in Minnesota that he never really had in Detroit. I think his highest year receiving wise in Detroit was 688 yards. So Minnesota in that half of the season when they traded for him kind of untapped that receiving potential and he knew he had to do that because we, uh, there's a reason he was drafted that high is because he was an athletic freak. He's a fantastic blocker, one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. And he was always good with that in Detroit but never got the receiving going. And the Vikings were that new scheme with Kevin O'Connell, which again, coming from the Rams, it wasn't really great for tight ends in the past, but he finally elevated that for him, and now he gets the money he deserves for being that great all-around tight end. As far as what it is for the Vikings, we'll see if they're able to pay these other guys too, because maybe they have to lose an offensive lineman because Hawkinson is going to get paid, because he's going to block a lot too, especially with not Would you rate TJ Hawkinson in the top three tight ends in all football? Ooh, that's a good question, because like all around with his blocking skills, it's very interesting. He's probably right on the outside. I would probably say fourth right now because I think Kittle when healthy is still a little better because he's the best blocker and then Mark Andrews too probably you're going to put in that realm as well like I think those are the four like Kelsey's obviously one and it's those three after that for and Kittle for me. yeah I that's say, what I said Kittle Kelsey yeah. Kittle and then everybody and Mark Andrews right those are the, those four. Are the top yeah. three I think and, and then I think Hawkinson is fourth after that I think really? he's a little I think he's a little better than Dallas Goddard I would say I think Goddard's done well in recent years with Philly now uh, after Ertz got traded but I think I think Hawkins is a little bit of a better blocker as a whole, and I think now that he's finally got the receiving going, I would give him a slight edge on Goddard right mm. now. It's interesting. At the tight end position, the NFL has really turned the tight end position into a very important position because no linebackers can keep up with them, and no right. no uh, safeties can take them down because of the size that these guys are. They're like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and 250 pounds, and they can run four fives and four sixes because they're athletically gifted. So it's crazy how the tight And I believe that's the next position that's going to make even more money than wide receivers because when you have a guy, a prototype guy like a Kittle or a Kelsey, I'm really Kelsey. If you could find a guy at a young age at that at that type of ability, 
I'm you're, he's going to make a lot of money when he's no, no longer on his rookie contract. And Kelsey obviously is taking less. As we remember, Gronkowski did it with the Patriots, and Tom Brady did it with the Patriots because they want to win, and he believes he can win multiple championships with Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, they've already won multiple championships, two championships, which is multiple championships. So I, I think that when you look at uh, the tight end position and where the tight end position is really evolutioning the the position uh, from a wide receiver because I believe now a big wide receiver can put on a little bit of weight and then transition into a tight end position because they can run, they have the size, they have the ability where you're going to make more money in the future at that position and then the wide receiver position. Yeah, and Hawkinson maybe is another one that could have been a, that kind of trendsetter too because now you're going to have some years where these tight ends are drafted early. Before Hawkinson, I think the last tight end that was drafted that early was Vernon Davis in 2006. So it was like a long while before that too. Then Kyle Pitts, two years after Hawkinson, was drafted early, fourth overall. And we're going to see that in this year's draft too with Brock Bowers out of Georgia. Georgia, who's kind of that hybrid wide receiver tight end, too, who's a very good route runner and a very good receiver. So, you're right. Definitely, if that kind of player can work in a longer-term sample, it definitely can be a new trend in the league. Now, Hawkinson finally had that kind of receiving volume in Minnesota, and we'll see if that ends up happening with somebody like Pitts, but these athletic freaks are definitely something that could happen. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch mentioned on Wednesday at a press conference that Nick Bosa will not be traded. Shanahan is still worried that Bosa could miss some games into the regular season. Lynch mentioned on multiple shows that the communication is ongoing, it's good, it's healthy. Bosa had 18.5 sacks, 19 tackles for loss in 48 quarterback hits last season and won the Defensive Player of the Year. The 49ers have given many big contracts to defensive players in the last two seasons, including defensive lineman Armstead and Hargrave and middle linebacker Fred Warner. The 49ers' first four games are on the road against the Steelers, Rams, Giants, and Cardinals. And really, they can go four. No, I, they could. I, I don't know what Brock Purdy is, okay? And I know a lot of fans, Josh Silverberg being one of them. I have a lot of Brock Purdy, AK 49er fans that believe Brock Purdy is the next thing since sliced bread. He's the next Tom Brady. He's going to be the surprise. He was a seventh round draft pick. He was the final pick in the, in the draft, and this guy becomes an MVP candidate and wins a couple of Super Bowls. I don't know if Brock Purdy is a guy like Tom Brady, he doesn't have the size, he doesn't have the arm strength to be Tom Brady. He's an accurate quarterback, and he's he fits very well in the Kyle Shanahan offense. Does that mean he's going to be a superstar quarterback? And here's the thing. You gave up on Trey Lance as fast as you did. You better be sure. You better be sure that Brock Purdy is going to have the season he had last year because if he doesn't, you are going to lose your job. Yeah, and, and Brock Purdy is coming off that injury too, and he's kind of getting rushed right away back. And playing against the Steelers defense could definitely be tough, and that's why you need to get this contract done with Bosa as soon as possible too. Because you're probably gonna have to rely on your defense a lot to beat a team like the Steelers. They might have to rely on their offense. Yeah, the Steelers have a good, pretty good defense too, and that's going to be something that if a, a quarterback like Purdy it could be hard for them to face right away too. They've got an improved secondary. I Love them drafting Porter and Minka Fitzpatrick, who was hurt a lot of last year, will be back. So it's going to be a hard matchup. I mean, they beat the Rams usually anyway. Even when the Rams were good, the 49ers always destroy them. Maybe you wouldn't worry about that one. But you got the Giants, who, again, could be tough. We'll see. Well, but they like to blitz. They do. The Giants love to blitz. And the 49ers lost a couple offensive linemen, too. So we'll see if they could adjust. But they also signed one of the used to play for the Giants, too, with Feliciano. So maybe that'll be interesting. I, I, I don't trust Brock Purdy. Okay? And I'm just telling you the facts here. I've seen a lot of people draft him in their, their quarterback as their really? 
quarterback one wow. and quarterback two in some of these leagues. I have a friend that drafted Brock Purdy as his number one quarterback, which I think is ridiculous. And yes, I do believe that San Francisco has a lot of good weapons. McCaffrey, uh, Debo Samuels, they have Ayuk, they have a bunch of good talent, and they, they have good running game too. Mitchell's still there. They, they have weapons. Here's the problem. And their offensive line is amongst the league's best. The problem with this right now, and I believe you're going into a season where you're you're going to start the season. You have all the pressure on you. You have to produce. You know you trade. They traded the quarterback that they believe was going to be the future of the organization. You traded them way for a fourth round draft pick in the Cowboys because they believe in you. If you go out and you lay a lousy goose egg and your UCL isn't 100 percent healthy and you get hurt again on the field, your career is over. Kyle Shanahan's career as a head coach of the San Francisco uh, 49ers are. Over, and John Lynch will be looking for another radio or broadcasting job. Which I hope he'll get, because he's a really very good broadcaster. But he's been a pretty good GM. But here's the thing that's you worry about with John Lynch. He hasn't won! The, you also, he's also gotten too cute with certain players, too. And Nick Bosa is definitely not the player you want to do that with, because he is that good. He's the perfect prototype for any pass rusher in today's game. He's so versatile. He can play in any scheme. He's a perfect body type. 6'5", 270-something pounds. And again, he's had the consistent production when he has been healthy. And for the 49ers right now, it's just the strategy sometimes there is a little too aggressive. You mentioned Javon Hargrave. Like, they didn't need to pay him. You already have Javon Kinlaw. They've always had good depth with the interior defensive line position. Armstead is a very good one. And you pay Fred Warner, who's worthy of that. Great, I think he's the best middle linebacker in the league right now. You also pay Traverius Ward. And you've drafted enough good defensive players that I don't think you really need to pay Hargrave and make this kind of situation even more trickier. You could have drafted a third or fourth round defensive tackle and been just fine. They didn't have to go spend all that money. Plus, you lost McGlinchey. And now, like you said, the quarterback situation is getting fishy, and they're going to have to pay some other guys, too. What is it with other teams attacking the Jets? Because they, they are obviously on hard knocks. The Jets did not want to be on hard knocks, by the way, guys. They did not want to be on hard knocks. Aaron Rodgers came out on, on multiple radio podcast and said that they had no interest in being on Hard Knocks. And he knew that the NFL was going to choose them because they were one of the last three teams, and it was Aaron Rodgers. And he knew that he was going to be pushed to do this show. And that's why he told all the players to be your authentic selves so everybody can see how together this team is. And because the Jets have done that this year and and throughout the offseason and throughout Hard Knocks and Jets One Drive, they're getting taken, everybody, coaches. We've seen uh, Sean Payton take shots at the New York Jets organization and players on the organization, uh, and, and that's hilarious, and coaches in, in the organization. And then you, you, I've heard over the last couple of weeks, some people take shots at Joe Douglas. What the hell did Joe Douglas do? <laughs> because he's drafted well over the last two seasons. Maybe not the first two seasons, but the last two seasons he's hit on a lot of his draft, draft picks, including a guy in Will McDonald that everybody said do not draft him. And he's looked as good as anybody has as a rookie on the field in minicamp. And now the latest one, Giants pass rusher Jihad Ward. <laughs> yeah, another guy that's uh, opening his mouth. I, certain players were, and uh, listen, I don't know what the Jets were doing. Okay, laughing, giggling when somebody got her. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that seems a little fishy. <laughs> I, I don't know. And, and maybe it's true. Maybe it is true. But you think the Jets are the only organization that's done that? No, I think it's just a reactionary thing. Because everybody it's wants Randall to. It's Randall Cobb. It's Aaron Rodgers. Everybody yeah. wants to make the Jets out to be the evil empire this year. Because they have Aaron Rodgers, they think that they bought their way into a championship. Let me, get, let me ask you guys a question. Because they, they bought their way in. Why are the Jets $18 million under the cap before the Aaron Rodgers thing? 
Why were they? Did they buy their way in? Did they pay all their players? The answer is no, they did not. They Dalvin Cook wanted to be on the New York Jets. They didn't force Dalvin Cook to, to play with the Jets. He wanted to play with Aaron Rodgers. The Jets, for the first time in their existence, have a guy that everybody wants to play with. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is everybody saying everybody in the league don't like Aaron Rodgers when players want to play with him? Does that make any sense? And that's that's the problem right now. Everybody assumes what you hear and what you want to attack because of a player and because of their past and, and how everybody wants to say he's not a family man, that's why he's not married, he's a womanizer, he's, he's rude, he's disrespectful, he doesn't like talking to the press, which is all false, all wrong. This guy's going to Taylor Swift concerts and Ed Sheeran concerts with his players. He's going to uh, Broadway shows and Nick games and, and uh, Ranger games. If he was such a bad guy, why is he doing it? And then the hard knocks, everybody wants to take shots at the Jets organization that the Jets were trying to buy their way in to be the face of this year's NFL season. Do you really think that Robert Sala wants this to be a reaction for his team, that he has to deal with this all season long when he knows the pressure is on him to win? He don't want this. Trust me, he don't. That's why half the players and half the teams do not want to be on hard knocks. And by the way, when you look at the records of the people and the, and the teams that have been on hard knocks every single year, most of them don't make the playoffs. The yep. last team that had a great season was the Jets in 2010. Like our friend Paul Eston said, uh, hard knocks champions, New York Jets. Furthest, the furthest they've ever gone, any team has gone, the AFC Championship game. It uh, really, it's true. Yeah. Uh, Carl, Denzel Mims was traded to the Lions. Mm-hmm. And he's no longer with the Lions. Yep. Uh, Carl says also says, Iowa is favored by 23 points on Saturday. They could even score that many points. I would not trust it, Carl. <laughs> that offense is, you want to talk about old school Big Ten. They still haven't evolved yet. And, and by the way, the Lions, uh, liked what Denzel Mims was doing on the field, and then he got hurt, and then they waived him. They they could not keep him on the roster because of his injuries. And and listen, it, it's a shame what happened to Denzel Mims because I think he could have been a good player in the league, and I think he's going to fall out of the league and fall out of anybody's love and compassion for him because the guy can't stay healthy. It, uh, he lost 20 pounds. He's sick. He's this. He's that. His leg hurts him. His fingers hurt him. He can't want to run a route. I mean, this has been a problem for Denzel Mims since he's come from Baylor. Unfortunately, it just has hit you know, the Jets in, in the face. And by the way, the Jets lose the draft pick that the Lions gave them because they waived them. Uh, Carl, to answer your question about the Rams, the Rams were one of the, they were, it was early in LA when the, when they were in it. They went to the Super Bowl the second year against the Patriots when they lost that game. And then they won, obviously, recently. Yeah. I, and by the way, I think Hard Knocks has been great. And, by, and another thing that the Jets did that a lot of teams have not done, done over the years, actually, the Jets are the first team not to do it, is let the cameras go in with Joe Douglas when he is dropping players. Oh, that's good. The Jets, uh, obviously, were the first team to suggest to the NFL that they did not want the players to feel uncomfortable when the camera is in the offense of Joe Douglas and and Robert Sala when they they start to tell the, the... the player that they're dropping them or waving them uh, because they're no longer needing their talents to play in the organization in the team. So obviously, you look at the big picture and and where the Jets are, they've become a more 
smarter organization, a, a respectful organization, maybe because of Joe Douglas and the way he has run the organization since he's taken over from Mike McCagnon, or maybe just because the Jets are letting the owners stay out of the process of the business end of it and letting the real guys, the smart guys, run the organization. Yeah, and you're also getting the respect from somebody like Aaron Rodgers, too. There's a reason that these guys are funneled there, too. You look at Tampa when they got Tom Brady. Like, people wanted to go play with him, even with a team that was previously dysfunctional, similarly to the Jets. You look at the Bucks playoff drought. It was 2007 was the last time they had made the playoffs before that year, too. Very similar to what the Jets are going through right now. Sometimes that franchise-changing quarterback, even if he is older, can make that kind of difference to these players, too. And like you were saying earlier with Joe Douglas, who says this isn't the last move they have because they have all his money left? Um, Dolphins uh, head coach Mike McDaniels louds uh, running back Raheem Mustard for how he's handled a ton of noise this offseason. Well, uh, obviously, I I love Mike McDaniels. Okay, I think he's one of the best young coaches in the NFL. And everybody was raving about him early in the season. We've had uh, a different, so many different analysts that have been on the show, including a Miami analyst that's been on our show multiple times that speaks loudly and highly of Mike McDaniels for what he has done for the Miami Dolphins. He looks like a mouse. He has to stand on a stool when he goes up to the mic. It's very, very funny. Even on the field, he looks like a kid. He doesn't even look like, I mean, the guy's like five foot six, five foot five. But the guy is a great mind. He comes from the Sean McVay tree, the Kyle Shanahan tree. Out of all the guys that have come from that tree, I think Mike McDaniels could be the more successful one out of that tree. I, I just question... You know, over the last couple of weeks, because I know, I know that they were in on Dalvin Cook. I knew they were in on Josh Jacobs before they extended him. And they're even, they're even have been known to be in on Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Those are the three names. But now all of a sudden he raves about Raheem Mustard, who going into the season is their number one guy. If you look at their, their, their list of running backs. They have Jeff Wilson, Devon. Uh, he's hurt now. I think he's on IR. Jeff yeah, uh, Devon Aiken. Yeah, rookie. And and Raheem Mustard. So Raheem Mustard, who fought injury last season, when he was on the field, he was fantastic, and he has really fit the scheme of what Mike McDaniel likes to run. So I've been very impressed. And uh, listen. McDaniel is going to speak highly of his players just as much as Robert Sala speaks highly of Aaron Rodgers. He's not going to, if you're a good coach, you're not going to throw any of your players under the bus, including Tua. I've heard through the grapevine that Tua has not looked good at minicamp. He has not looked good uh, throughout the preseason. So what does that tell you for a team like the Dolphins that everybody expects to be one of the better teams in the NFL? Yeah, and a guy that's on a fifth-year option, too, that has to prove himself as well. And if he wants to get paid that kind of money that these quarterbacks are making now, too. And he doesn't have as much excuse, besides the injury, if he possibly stay on the field because he has probably the best receiving duo in the league or one of the best receiving duos in the league with Hill and Waddle. And, and that's why when, when you hear Raheem Mustard, and by the way, Aiken is, uh, and Carl says it too, and I'm now reading the article even more, that Aiken is actually hurt too. They both have dinged up shoulders. Wow. 
So uh, they're going into the season with one running back, and maybe they bring in another one. Bam Bam Knight is still available. I don't think anybody picked him up. I have you heard anything about Bam Knight? I thought Detroit picked him. Did up. Did they? I thought I thought I saw. I loved Bam or, Knight unless it was just on the practice squad because I, I know they were I know they were looking at him with all the new running backs that they have too. But it might have been just the practice squad. So if, yeah, if somebody else sniped him to an active roster, practice squad. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but again, he still could be signed to an active roster too, which that could be interesting as well. He had a good season last year. He had a lot. To, he did a, a lot when Brees Hall got hurt last year, and they brought in James Robinson. He he took the job away from James Robinson. Right. So I I understand when you look at a guy like Bam Knight, he you couldn't keep Bam Knight because you had Israel, who they really really liked. They drafted him. Uh, a lot of people thought he was a second round talent. They got him in I think in the fourth or fifth round, uh, and he's shown himself. He's a Brooklyn native, shown himself to be an important piece, maybe to the Jets' future as a running back. Michael Carter is still there. This is his final year on his rookie contract. I don't think he's coming back. And then you have Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall. Two guys that are going to be a very big, important part of the Jets' running core going into the season. I, I, I was upset when Bam Knight was let go, or waived, and I knew that somebody was going to pick him up because he's that good of a player, and he could start. I, 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 I believe that if da, uh, Detroit doesn't decide to bring him up or use him this year, I think you can pick him up on the practice squad. I could see another team doing it if they lose a running back. Yeah, at least as a scat back, even if he's not a starter, because he was good at that as a quickness guy. Because, mm-hmm. again, he is a little undersized, but at least as a second back scat guy, he uses a pass-catching guy, not bad idea. Well, we're not talking, by the way, uh, and I, I understand what... Obviously, Carl is saying we're not talking about the Jets. I'm just mentioning a guy like uh, I believe uh, Knight, who was a big part of what the Jets' running game was last year in the second half of the season. I think I wanted to see the Jets bring him back, or he made the practice squad. So if they need him, they can bring him back. But again, it's wide open this year, and I, I think in the AFC, it's it, it is wide open because anybody can come out of the AFC this year. We we. Kind of predict what's going to happen in the NFC. I, I do believe San Francisco, even with Brock Purdy, I just think the conference is so bad and the divisions are set up so badly. And, and, and some of these, like, even if you look at the, the schedule for the 49ers, is it really that hard? I mean, NFC, AFC North, it's semi-hard, I guess. It's not. It's not hard. Not compared to some of the AFC East teams and the AFC North teams that they have to go through this year. So I I understand what you're saying, but a lot of people believe the Saints could really surprise everybody. And 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 here's the thing: I look at the Saints, and I love Derek Carr. And if the Jets didn't land Aaron Rodgers. Derek Carr would have been a great fit for the New York Jets. And I think Derek Carr wanted to be a Jet. I think I just don't think the Jets were fully down and interested in a guy like Derek Carr because they believe Zach Wilson could still be the future of this organization. So you're bringing Derek Carr for a four- or five-year deal. You gave, you're giving up on Zach Wilson because Aaron already came out and said that he's going to play multiple years. He could, he could play two. Pro, he could play three, probably two. So... There, there is a light at the end of the tunnel for the Jets if they believe Zach Wilson is the future. So I, I look at the roster and I look at this team. The Saints are going to be a dangerous team. They're a good offensive team. Uh, they, there's a lot of questions. Uh, Thomas is is Thomas going to be the be, uh, the same player he was when he was at the top of his game a couple of years ago? I don't believe he will be, but he's still going to be a decent player. Uh, a lot of these players have to take jumps this year. They have 
a, a clear amount of weapons on the offensive side of ball. I, I think Jawan Johnson, I was speaking about him last night with Daigle. I, I, he, is a, he could be a touchdown superstar this year. He can have 10 touchdowns in this offense, especially in the red zone. Uh, a six foot four, six foot five uh, wide receiver that transitioned into the tight end position. And he put on a lot of size for Morgan. And then uh, the defense is going to be beastly. Their offensive line is really good. And, and Chris Olave, this is a, a new year where you're going to always be compared to Garrett Wilson. If Garrett Wilson has one of these years where he has 13, 1400 yards with Aaron Rodgers, I'm not saying you have to do some similar numbers like you did last year. Because uh, I thought Olave should have been a top three uh, offensive uh, defense, offensive player, offensive rookie player of the year. Uh, but Again, Walker had a good year. Purdy, I, I don't know how Pur- Purdy made the list. Yeah, a lot of it I thought should have been second. I was surprised because they had bad quarterback play just like the Jets did. Wilson deserved it, but I, a lot of it was not far behind the way he played. And if Brees, if Brees played the whole season, he probably would have won it too. But nevertheless, I, I look at the Saints. The Saints are the most dangerous team and surprise team that could come out of the NFC Conference because of the ability that they have defensively and what Derek Carr could produce on the field with the players that he has. Yeah, it's the question marks with the Saints, too. A lot of it has to do with some of the veterans that got hurt. But I also drafted well so, to replace those And, spots and when Alvin Kamara comes back, how, how consistent will he be this year? Yeah, that's also true. And for a guy that's a, a 28-year-old running back, too, who was good last year but has had been up and down kind of since that 2019 season where he broke out uh, the third time. And the Saints were, I think, the number two seed in the NFC that year. But even so, the Saints replaced those guys very well. They've drafted a lot of good young defensive backs. They drafted a lot of good young linebackers that are helping, helpful for that defense. Where they're, It's going to be interesting to see what their defense is the pass rush because that's gotten old all at once, too. They lost a couple defensive tackles, but their offensive line should be better than last year, too, because they had a lot of injuries there as well. Yeah, and I, I, again, going back to when you look at these rosters and, and you're comparing and contrasting some of the teams, especially in, in some of these divisions, where they could end up this year. I believe the Buccaneers, even being two and one in the preseason, they're going to stink. They're going to stink it up. Mayfield, I think they dropped him. They cut him. I don't know if they brought him back. Uh, Trask, uh, he didn't look good either, but I think he won the job. It's just the Buccaneers, could you imagine what the Buccaneers were two, three years ago? They were a Super Bowl champion. Uh, They had Tom Brady. They were explosive defensively and offensively. Now they're looking to trade their best defensive player in white. Uh, We've heard that all offseason that he could be traded. He'll probably be traded at the trade deadline. Uh, Mike Evans, his name has been around, uh, wiggled around in trades. They they extended Chris Godwin. Why would they do that when they don't have a quarterback to throw to him? So you're overpaying a a wide receiver that's not going to have the numbers he wants this year because he has crappy quarterback play around him. Yeah, and the offensive line is the biggest thing because they lost all of it all at once last year and it really affected uh, somebody like the Tom Brady and then that offense as a whole too, losing Bruce Arians. So Godwin was really the only steady point amidst all that. Fournette did all right, but he was not really as much of a runner either. And everybody's out overblowing the Falcons this year. Everybody, this Bijan Robinson thing. Oh my God, this guy is the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, we heard the thing about Brees Hall last year. Brees Hall wasn't a first round draft pick, but Brees Ball has. He's come out and said that he believed he was first round talent. He is. He still wants to prove that he's that type of player. And and the same thing with Walker. Kenneth Walker was not a first round draft pick. He was a third round draft pick, if I'm not mistaken, by Seattle. And he took over for Penny last year after getting hurt. And in in the last eight games of the season, he was beastly. Ten touchdowns, thousand yards. He was up for 
rookie of the year. Well-deserved. I think that when you look at this division as a whole, and a lot of people think the Falcons could be a surprise. They love Bryce Young uh, and, and, and what this coaching staff, one of the better coaching staffs built going into the offseason with, with a new coach and a new quarterback. A lot, of be, a lot of people think that this division is up for grabs. I disagree. I think this is the, the Saints division to lose. Yeah, there's a lot of unknown factors with both the Falcons and the Panthers, too, because the Falcons need some volume consistently in the passing game because, again, they have talented athletic players, but they haven't gotten a lot of those guys to be consistent in terms of their overall production. And even if Drake London does emerge, who's that second guy? Is it going to be somebody like Matt Collins who had good volume year there? Hopefully it's Pitts, you would think, for his development. Do you like Drake London this yes. year? Do you do you think that I should trade Walker for London? Do no. you think he's worth it? No, I would not. For fantasy, I'm worried about him because I don't know what kind of volume he's going to get. Athletically, as a player, I do like him. I, just, I, I would not make that trade right now until you see what kind of production he can get. Yeah, and I know everybody's rushing me, and if he has a good first or second season and then I'm ready to trade for him, he's not going to want to trade him. Yeah, so I, I, would be, I would be cautious until you see that because, like a lot of our analysts have been saying, it's still going to be very run heavy it's going to be close to 50 percent run for that falcons team with also algier and cordero patterson too and desmond ritter who can run a little as well don't be surprised if they use a lot of rpos Mm, it's very interesting and that's just one of the uh, divisions that really stand out to me this year because it's so wide open uh the nfc north is the other division that i am interested to see how it's going to fall together i i think this is a very weak conference uh in the nfc but this division is probably the weakest. And I, everybody says, well, the Cardinals, Seattle, 49ers, Rams. Uh, Seattle and the 49ers can make the playoffs this year. That's two Seattle out of the four. Year, yeah, yeah the, both those teams can make the playoffs this year. And the Rams uh, could be rebuilding. We know the Cardinals are going to rebuild, <laughs> and they're yeah. throwing away players. They have S. Simmons, who's now the star safety slash linebacker for the New York Giants. Um, but you look at the Green Bay Packers. Everybody loves Jordan Love. He's looked pretty good. I've heard in minicamp and practices. I know everybody's going to try to hide the the thought that Aaron Rodgers is not there and that this guy could be the future of this organization. I worry about the Packers that going into the year because even with the weapons that they added in the draft and in free agency, they don't have a, a pure number one. They don't. Watson, they believe, and we've heard a lot of the experts believe that he He's a lot better than people think he will be this year. He could win. He could have 70 touchdowns. But remember, Jordan Love is a rookie quarterback that has a lot of pressure on him. He's taking over for one of the greatest quarterbacks ever play this game. And also, it's a new transition. It's no longer uh, Aaron Rodgers making decisions on the sideline with Matt LaFleur. It's Matt LaFleur making decisions and telling Jordan Love that this is the way he wants to run his offense. So it's going to be a different way that this offense is going to be running. And here's another thing. I've heard they're interested in Jonathan Taylor. If they're interested in Jonathan Taylor, how is that going to work when you have a guy that's been having problems in the locker room, getting along with players? You bring a a young player like that who thinks he's better than the quarterback or better than every single offensive player that they have, and he doesn't touch the ball. How is that going to work in the locker room when it's working right now? Yeah, I think that was just a small thing, just maybe because he's a Wisconsin guy. But again, if the Packers try to do that and then just try to make the him the highest paid running back or whatever, that that's what we were saying earlier. Like the Packers are trying to be trendsetters when they don't need to be type thing. No, and I I question. What the Packers did at the draft. Now, they added two tight ends. They would never do that for Aaron Rodgers. They have not helped Aaron Rodgers out at all. All of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers is with the Jets, and now they're helping out 
Jordan Love. They're throwing it all into the offensive side of the ball, which over the years they've practically threw throw it into the defensive side of the ball. Has it worked? Not really, because the Packers' defense last year didn't wake up until the second half of the season. And still can't stop the run, so good luck. And they're going to have a lot of problems because they're in their division. You have to play the Lions twice, the Bears twice, and the Vikings. And what do all three teams do very well? Run the ball. Now, I don't know how good the Vikings are going to be this year without Dalvin Cook. They do have uh, two running backs that a lot of people believe could be just as good. I, I, Dalvin Cook was a top seven running back, so it's, it's hard to replace a guy with that consistency. But nevertheless, I expect the Lions to be really, really good. Uh, they added Montgomery this offseason. I, I like him. A lot of people have drafted him early in their drafts in, in, the, in the, the first five rounds, so a lot of people think that Montgomery is going to be good, and, and Carl knows all about Montgomery because he's an ex-Bear, yep. and he's in the same division with a team that he absolutely hated. So... <laughs> I, I think when you look at this division, everybody thinks it's the Vikings Vikings to lose. I, I, I don't believe that. I don't think the Vikings are as good as they were last year. They have Justin Jefferson. They have Kirk Cousins. They have the ability. They added a, another wide receiver to this roster. Good for them. Here's the problem. What, what affected them last year in the big games? What affected them? They're secondary. They're secondary. And what did they do in the offseason to help that? Nothing. They did nothing. You would hope Brian Flores could help with that, though. And they lost somebody in the secondary once well, again this yeah, Again, they're going to replace guys because they have had trouble funneling corners in all of a sudden. Brian Flores is a great defensive guy. He, he's, he's great, okay? It, it, he's not going to be on the field. He's not going to be able to play those positions. So I don't know how much better is he going to help if you don't have the players that's going to run your defense. Yeah, they're not going to be they're not going to be anything like special overall. But I, at least I th- I would think with the rookies they brought in, um, they- how do you hide the deficiencies of the safety play? I mean, the Jets tried to do that last year. I mean, uh, the Jets have Robert Sala, who's a great defensive mind. Look, the Jets were ranked 30, 31st or thirty second the year before, and then they were in the top five, and that just shows you what Robert Sala could do when when his defense actually works on all cylinders. I don't know if Brian Flores is that type of guy. I don't know if Brian Flores is going to be able to take this team with a lot of weaknesses in the secondary and take them to that next level. I also think that Brian Flores doing what a lesser like lesser roster with the Dolphins, though, too, and making that defense somewhat competitive, I think with that level of an offense of what the upside of that offense could be, it they don't need to necessarily be an elite defense. They could be just a, a serviceable defense because they were good in some areas last year. They could stop the run. They were good rushing the passer. Like we were talking about Daniel Hunter before, I think at 15 sacks mm-hmm. or something like that last year. I just think they need to be somewhat competent. What worries me most about it is losing Eric Hendricks because he aided some of the secondary problems with being being a good coverage linebacker. So are Troy Dye and Jordan Hicks and guys like that? And Flores, the scheme, going to help that out enough to be able to do that? Because you're right. I think it's a, a tight race with them in the Lions. I think it'll be, it'll be close down My way. two teams that I think are going to be a surprise in the NFC North is the Lions and the Bears. I, I like the Bears this year. And I'm not saying this because Carl is listening to the show. I like the Bears. I, I like Justin Fields. I, I really, really do. I think adding DJ Moore, you see that they're building chemistry right now in the preseason. I think uh, DJ Moore has two touchdowns in the preseason. He looks really, really good. Uh, they were talking about moving Mooney. Now I'm hearing that they're going into the season with Mooney and That's DJ Moore. Uh, and I think they could be very explosive. They have a good running game. Justin Fields is expected to have a very good season when it comes to fantasy. I think he's in a top six for quarterbacks. Uh, he could jump in the top three this year. If he can throw any type of ball 
this year and right. g- give you about 250 yards and run the ball. I mean, Justin Fields could give you 40 points every single week. Right. He's that type of player. Fantasy-wise, I would obviously surprised if he's top three either, and you have to take that chance with, like John Daigle was saying yesterday, like they had no passing volume whatsoever last year, even and, when they were down in games. And you look at Yahoo, what they rated me when I'm drafting him. They were like, oh, why did you draft? I mean, at the end of your draft, they're questioning some of your picks, and, and people question Justin Fields. How could you question Justin Fields for what he did in the second half last year? I brought in off of waivers Justin Fields, and he changed everything for me last yep. year. True. Everything. Everything. Him and, and and then Walker, when Kenneth Walker. I drafted Walker and I had him sitting on the bench until he got the starting job for Penny, and everything changed for me. It was Walker and Justin Fields, two players. Oh, and Bots, by the way, Christian Watson, who I brought in, 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 uh, in off of waivers, too. He was a transition player, too. He helped me. Those three players gave me enough boost to get me in the playoffs last year and almost made it. To the semifinals. So I, I should have went to the semifinals. A uh, whole nother thing. But nevertheless, uh, that had a lot to do with the Hamlin thing. And, oh, whatever. It, shit happens. But I, I, I think that when you look at the NFC and how open the NFC is, I, I, again, and I, I know the Lions, I, this is a big year for Campbell. This is a big year for Campbell. Because St. Uh, obviously, uh, um, Brown is is a guy that a lot of people like. He, he's having he had a great year last year. He, he a lot of people believe he could be a top three, top four wide receiver in the league this year if he could stay on the field and stay healthy. Uh, they lose Williams for twelve games this year again. A stupidity move by uh, Williams not doing the right thing off the field and getting himself into trouble. But nevertheless, I think this team is very explosive. I think this team defensively is going to even be better than they were last year. And I I think that they can get at the quarterback. If they can get at the quarterback and put pressure, uh, their offense, I, I... I am not a Jared Goff fan over the you know since he was drafted, but I have to give Jared Goff a lot of credit. Ever since he left the Rams and he's taken over and he he's now calling the plays at the line of scrimmage, not having Sean McVay do it, you can see the difference and the confidence level that he has on the field. Yeah, the Lions and the Vikings are very similar question marks too, because I mean the Vikings have the receivers, the Lions. We'll see if they do have the depth besides Amon Ross St. Brown, but they're both great offensive lines and they're both good front sevens. But the Lions secondary is a little iffy too because they lost. They lost. They traded Jeff Okuda. They lost Awarie, who had played well for them two years ago. He struggled last year, but they relied on a lot of rookies down the stretch last year. They drafted Brian Branch, who has looked good so far in their training camp. But again, they're going to need those guys to step up. And Aaron Glenn deserves a lot of credit. He's done well as a defensive coordinator. Can those guys play well enough to have them take that next step? Because their overall pass defense was still really bad last year. I think they were the worst in the league for like 10 games, and they finally started to pick it up. And their run defense wasn't exactly great either, despite them being able to rush the quarterback. SNY's Andy Martino reported that the Mets fired several front office members on Wednesday. Martino believes this could allow Bill Epler and potentially David Stearns to pick their own guys and could change the thoughts of trading Pete Alonzo. Steve Cohen says he still trusts Epler as a trusting, high-ranking voice of the organization. The Mets will call up Ronnie, hold on, Mauricio, and recall Brett Beatty when rosters expand tomorrow. The Yankees also will call up prospects Jason Dominguez and Austin Wells tomorrow. The Yankees placed Harrison Bader on waivers and released Josh Donaldson. Uh, Brian Cashman called the Yankee season a disaster, and Hal Steinbrenner called it an unacceptable season. Let's go for the let's go 
to the Mets first because I've got a lot to say about the Yankees and, and the season that they've had. I don't know what the Mets have done this year for this organization. And I don't know how it's helped the youngsters grow in this organization. The one thing the Yankees have done this year that the Mets haven't is they've brought their youngsters up and you let they let them play. The Mets this year, Buck Showalter, Billy Epler, I don't know what's going on uh, as far as the executives are going. And maybe bringing in a guy like David Stearns will help really help run this organization and with the way they believe this organization should have been been run over the last couple of years because bringing in Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander obviously wasn't the bright way to go. But nevertheless, I look at the Mets right now, the Pete Alonzo story. If I was Pete Alonzo, I want to get the hell out of here. I, I really do. Because if you know that this organization has Billy Epler running it, and spending the money that Steve Cohen has spent over the last two seasons and then trading away pieces that, hey, you know what? They should have never brought to the organization from the first place. It does set you and th- make you think as a youngster, should I sign sign with this team or go somewhere else where I have better opportunities to win a, win a championship and, by the way, not be mistreated by the organization? Right, and that's the thing I'm worried about most is to avoid what Jacob deGrom had to go through, too. You don't need that kind of thing again with somebody like Pete Alonso, who has been durable, has been a good leader, has been a guy that has been consistent in terms of home runs. Now, the other parts of his game, yeah, they're still not great, like, like we were saying. His defense still been iffy. His on-base percentage this year finally is up over 320, but that's taken a while to get going when he was slumping really badly after the injury. And you look at the Mets, the way they mistreated him after the injury, too, kind of rushing him back. I feel like that is another thing that you wonder if that's going to hurt him. And I hope the Mets keep him at all costs by every means possible because he is that type type of guy. And hopefully this new front office is a thought process for that. Even if they brought David Stearns in. If you're already hearing from the organization that they want to move Pete Alonso, how is that going to change anything? Honestly. Because if Billy Epler says, hey, I, I just don't think he's a good fit, and Steve Cohen says, let Billy run this organization and let you, you know, obviously do the make the organization grow from inside to the outside, I, I, I don't know if Billy Epler, I, I, I don't know if David Stearns and the new, obviously, executives that they bring in and new voices for the organization is this going to help the fact that Pete Alonso wants big money and has been mistreated by the organization for the last two seasons so I question it and by the way whatever the Mets are doing with these youngsters I don't understand it I would have kept Brett Beatty up all season I would have kept a lot of these youngsters up all season and obviously the trials and tribulations you knew uh, really going into the second half, you weren't making the playoffs. You were under 500 by six games. You weren't making the playoffs because the, your division is so difficult and that conference is as good as any conference uh, besides, you know, the conference is better than the American League conference. The American League has like five really good teams or four really good teams. I, I think the National League has a lot more talent and a lot more overall better teams. So, I don't know where the Mets are as an organization and, and bringing even David Stearns in a, a very smart guy who did very well with Milwaukee, uh, bringing him in. Does that change the outlook of Buck Showalter? That's changed. If D- David Stearns comes in, 
does David Stern say, you know what, I'm firing, I'm firing Billy Epler. If you want me to come in, I want Billy Epler gone. I want to bring yeah. my own GM in. Yeah, I'm worried about having Epler having too much power, too, because I don't think he's really deserved enough of that, even with his track record with the Angels, too. And you wonder if David Stearns eventually is going to transition into having that kind of power take over. I think Epler's going to still have some say, obviously, because he's already there, but you wonder if that kind of thing will transition down the road once these guys get more acclimated. As far as the Yankees are concerned, and I, I know there's a lot to get into with the Yankees, and obviously we have our, our Reno Ron, Johnny uh, coming in and just our a fellow, few uh, Our fellow Orioles fan that'll probably criticize something with the Yankees. Uh, listen, you could criticize anything oh, you course. want with the Yankees. <laughs> this the Yankees, time you can. <laughs> the Yankees have looked like garbage this year, and it's the first time since 1995. They're probably, I think they're going to be over 500 this year. I still think they'll figure it out and, and, and become a 500 team. They're only, what, three games away from being a 500 team. I think uh, the, with the youngsters that they're bringing up, maybe that'll give them a little bit of boost. The, the Yankees aren't making the playoffs, okay? They're not. I, I mean, the American League is really left to, uh, especially the AL East, it's really left to three teams. I don't even think the Red Sox are making the playoffs this nah. year. Um, it's Toronto, Baltimore, and Tampa. It's really Baltimore and Tampa in the AL East. Right. Uh, Toronto still can sneak into the playoffs. And, and what Seattle's done so far uh, in the second half and some of the other teams, I mean, a lot of these teams could sneak in uh, because they're so close together and bunched together. Uh, the Yankees, though, I, I love that Aaron Boone is playing the youngsters. I love that Brian Cashman is calling youngsters up early and seeing what they have with them because then you can decide in the offseason where do you go in free agency. Do you uh, go into the season next year as Jason Dominguez as your starting center fielder, uh, Austin Wells as your starting catcher, and then Volpe, your start, starting shortstop, and Pereza, your starting third baseman or uh, second baseman. The Yankees have an opportunity now where they can start to figure out what this roster is going to be moving into next year where – uh, maybe they need to add another offensive outfielder, or maybe they need to trade a Giancarlo Stanton to free up some space where they can bring in two good players for the price of one. I don't know. But again, the Yankees have had a very bad season, and when you place Harrison Bader, who, when he is on the field, he was a pretty good player for the Yankees. When you place him on waivers, it only tells you one thing. They don't believe, even in the position that they are right now, with still a lot of baseball left, that they're going to make the playoffs. So they gave up Donaldson. They should have <laughs> given up on him a long time ago. The guy stinks. Oh, now Milwaukee's interested in him after they couldn't trade for Pete Alonso. <laughs> Watch him go to Milwaukee and become the power hitter that he was. Well, so his I, last great year, was, well, not his last great year, he was go with the Braves too, but his, his best year for a while was with the Twins, so right over there. You watch. He'll, he'll go there and he'll, he'll go on a hot streak. He'll hit 10 home runs. Look at what John, Gary Sanchez did with the Padres. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. It's so much stress, <laughs> so much pressure. But uh, And Brian Cashman... I'm going to say this, and I never thought I would say this. Maybe the Yankees need to look in the offseason of moving on from Brian Cashman. I, I just don't think I don't think the interviews that I've heard from Brian Cashman, he's taking full responsibility enough on where this team was supposed to be this year and what this team really hasn't produced. You were in the ALCS last year. And now you're not even going to make the playoffs and you could be under the 500 for the first time in over 30 years. To me, that's alarming. And I, I didn't think that if I, if they were over 500 this year, like I believe they were going to be, Brian Cashman should come back. If they're under 500 this year and this is the New York Yankees, they don't win 85 games with, even with the roster that they have. Uh, it is alarming. 
you you spent the money on you as much as you did on Rodon, uh, Garrett Cole. These guys are Garrett Cole should win the Cy Young this year. He's he's uh, he has the most strikeouts, the best WAR. I mean, he's been fantastic all season long. Um, and but the Yankees, that's the only thing that's been good for the New York Yankees all season long. Rodon has not looked good, but he's not healthy. So uh, I think that. I'm saying it right now. Maybe the Yankees need to move on from Brian Cashman and start over. Bring in a guy, uh, a fresh guy that uh, can help this team grow, help this farm system, which is one of the worst farm systems now in baseball. Right, and you see what the Mets did trading all those guys at the trade deadline too. And the Yankees maybe have started to done that approach too, waving Harrison Bader, uh, obviously getting rid of Donaldson. That said, that'd be a horrible contract. Don't be surprised if there's other veterans that are moved too, because you have to make room for these youngsters. You have to have take advantage of the upside that could come, especially you look at the league now. A lot of young teams emerging the way they are. And Jason Dominguez, his stats in AAA were very good. So oh, he like looked... It's... The last eight games, he's been fantastic. Right. Over the last month, he's been fantastic. In the beginning of the year, he looked horrible. But right. he's figuring things out. And he's a switch hitter, power hitter. And, and they they expected this kid to be a star in the league. If he turns into the player that he... He, they believed he was going to be after the, giving him the money that they did when he was 16 years old. And Aaron Judge is still out there. And then maybe Panera, uh, he's the, the left fielder of the future. Your left field is pretty much set. I mean, your outfield is pretty much set up for four, the next four or five years. Then you just have to worry about the infield. Get some power at third base. Get some power at first base and move on. Right. And again, the older hitting trend is really going away, too. And a lot of the good teams that have done well this year have, have mostly younger lineups, too. And I think the Yankees are realizing that, too. Play the guys that have more upside. You're going to have the big contracts anyway. You're still going to be stuck with Judge. If you're not able to trade Stanton, you'll be stuck with him and stuff like that. But you still have to funnel around those guys. And again, you want guys that can play around Judge and maybe could strive earlier in their career because of that. So. I want to see Dominguez. I, this is the guy that I've been waiting for. He's finally going to step on a, on a ba- baseball field this year. I almost said football field, but baseball field. And he has a chance to prove himself. Uh, he's a, a Dominican player. I'm pretty from Dominican Republic. Uh, switch hitting, power hitter. And uh, they believed when they brought him in that he was the next big star in the majors. And he, at one point, he was one of the best prospects in, uh, in, in all of baseball. He fell off. Volpe became their number one. Yeah. Uh, and and has been pretty good this year. He hasn't hit for average, but I think that'll change next year. I mean, Derek Jeter didn't hit for average right. his first season when he came into the league. I expect Volpe to be even better this year, and I think he's going to hit 20 home runs this year for a shortstop. That's a lot, and he's going to give you about 70, 75 RBIs. That's what you want from your shortstop, and if, if he's a shutdown defender, which Volpe is, uh, and he could steal about 30 bases a year. I think Volpe could be a sensational player. Yeah. When we come back, yes, finally, I know he's been waiting. Let's parlay with uh, Reno Johnny and us here on the Sports Lab Mount. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mounds. 631-672-3108. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 
Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. Yes, great shows. Uh, yes, Team Canada over there uh, with Chaz and Wes uh, every single week. Tune in every single Saturday. Uh, they're fantastic. I see the smile with Reno Johnny, obviously, but uh, we're going to get him on in just one second. But tune in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every single week by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. A smile on his face. Looks like he was coaching. It does. It looks like he's just coming back from coaching. Looks like a happy guy. I mean, he has got his first kid. Uh, he's growing. He's getting bigger. He's got a nice, beautiful house. He's winning, hopefully, right now in his uh, his picks. Uh, Reno Johnny, what's going on, John? Man, and a beautiful wife. She's here. This well, time. I have never met your wife. Well, why don't you put her on the screen? I'd like to see. Off, so I'll give her the shout out. Some people, it is. They need the attention, and, oh. and so I gotta give it to her. Uh, mm. But yeah, good kid, and uh, yeah, we got the W tonight. It's our first game of the year. Good for you. Uh, Got a good win, and uh, yeah, we're moving on. We're winning bets. We got the the Utah game just ended. Um, took a terrible number, by the way, because I kind of took a chance, and I thought Cam Rising was gonna play. Uh, he did not, but I took this like probably like five days ago, six days ago, when it was seven. Um, it went down to four, so <laughs> I was like on a horrible number. I almost actually came in. And taking the four just to kind of like that's it's kind of doubling down, but I was like, no, nah, I'll just ride with the minus seven. And hopefully, back at quarterbacks can do some stuff. So, yeah, we, we're good to go. We got a few games here for you in the less parlay segment. Um, giving out, are you giving out picks too, Errol? I might as well. And uh, I'm also going to give out some of Wes's as well that he texted me. He had a lot of them okay. in this game, so he said a total of 63 plays in the U.S. I just want to congratulate a player. Anthony Volpe is the 15th player in Major League history, first in Yankee history. Uh, in his rookie season, to have twenty st- uh, tw- over twenty stolen bases and twenty home runs uh, tonight, he hit his twentieth home run. He is the fifteenth player to ever do that in Major League history, and the first for the New York Yankees. So, congratulations, Anthony Volpe could be a really good one. Um, uh, he just needs to figure out uh, and get his batting average up to two fifty, two sixty, and I think maybe even two seventy if he can come. Anywhere close to that, I I think he could be a fun player to watch in the future for the New York Yankees. But congratulations to Anthony Volpe. I think he'll be I think he'll be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna front here. Uh, baseball is so much better when the Yankees are bad. <clears throat> I'll just put it that way. I love it. I absolutely love seeing the Yankees in the dumpster that they're in. And I know that there's a lot of New York fans out there. This is probably not the listeners' your base, but mm. I I enjoy it. It's because I'm a AL East guy and. It's the toughest division to win in. It's been like that for years, mm-hmm. and the Orioles are always at the bottom. So it's always great when it's not the Orioles at the <laughs> bottom of, of the division. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's. It doesn't happen often. You know, it happens mm. once every 25 years. So let me enjoy this for a little bit. Yeah. Well, listen, and I'm, I'm sure the Yankees going into the offseason, I know the Yankees are going to sit back. And these youngsters, if Dominguez turns out to be. Uh, you know, they, they have like 20, 28, 30 games left with Dominguez. And if Dominguez turns out to be the player that they believe he's going to be going into the season next year, you can build your team around, you know, your captain, Aaron Judge. You have Dominguez and Volpe. You're two studs right there for the future, and you can build around that. So Didn't, didn't they just call somebody else, too? Pinero. Didn't they call it yeah. the catcher, too, right? Yes, Austin Wells, who they like. He's a, I think he's a future first baseman. I don't think he's a catcher. Everybody says he's he's developing his catching skills. He's been very good in the minors. 
I still think the Yankees, he has the power. He can hit 35 home runs, 40 home runs. He's got a tremendous amount of power. I think you put him at first base, teach him first base in the next couple of years, and he's your future first baseman. He can hit for average, too. I'm sorry? Isn't he like the third best? I thought he was like the third ranked best prospect for catching right now. The third best catcher. Yeah, well, because he's got tremendous power. I mean, the the guy when he was drafted, I think from Arizona, when the Yankees drafted him, they, everybody said that he, he his ability to hit for power, and he he can hit for average too. He could be a two seven if he's a catcher and he can hit for two seventy two eighty. I mean, he's amongst the league's best, if not the best. It, it, the problem is, is he's had a problem like Gary Sanchez. He's he doesn't he doesn't have a great arm and he doesn't call a good game. But he is they've said that he's transitioned his game over the last year and he's he's become a pretty good catcher. So if he's anywhere close to that type of play, if he's a Mike Piazza, I think the Yankees will be very happy with that. Yeah. I can tell you that. Okay. But anyways, are you ready? Uh, yeah, that, that's that's kind of that's rolling. All ready. right, here we go. Parlay, olay. For Let's Parlay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have Reno Johnny. We have some of West picks. And yes, I'll give you my crappy picks. Speedy, where are we at? Do you have the records right now? Uh, I think Jonathan was 22 and 18 and 1. Um, he wasn't on last week, so I didn't I didn't look uh, consistently. Where am I at? Uh, you were one game under 500. <laughs> and I didn't play last week, by you the didn't, way. No, you didn't play last week. It was only West last week that played. Uh, I'm trying to find John. I'm trying to find your overall record. I think it was 22. Oh no, 30, 22, and one. So you're actually on a nice little streak. You were you were kind of you were losing your lead a little bit. You're with your little bit of a slump in July, but you're picking up again. You're still in the lead, Jonathan. There we go. All right, John, you uh, go first, and then West and me. Yes. All right. Hey, look, it's college football, and I know everybody's hooting and hollering. We got football back. We're excited, but. My first play is going to be on the diamond. I got to stick to the, to the you know, the, the sport that's been there for me the last few months, right? Football leaves for six months. I'm going to stay loyal here, going to the diamond, going to look at the Baltimore Orioles and Diamondbacks game. Going to take the over in this game. I got Zach Davies on the hill for, for the Diamondbacks. Not a guy I'm going to back. I got a very explosive offense here uh, uh, from, from Baltimore that I think. I mean, they go one through nine. And even when they get Jorge Mateo, Ryan McKenna, like they just get guys to just start producing. I think what happens too is social media. I, I, it's kind of funny. I watch social media a lot. And every time they start harping on, oh, McKenna sucks, get him out the lineup, we'll have like, we'll go six for 10, two home runs over a stretch. And now Cedric Mullins, like I'm waiting for Cedric Mullins to, to jump out. Yeah. I think they're going to have a big offensive game against, against Zach Davies. But I also look at Cole Irvin, right? The, the, the rotation in Baltimore is not the strongest. Cole Irvin's had some good starts, but it's a hitter-friendly park. Diamondbacks, I think they can get a little offense. It's nine and a half. I like the over in that game. I think both teams kind of get out there scoring, and Baltimore can get six, seven in an inning quickly. Hitter-friendly park. Give me the overruns. Uh, 9.5 here, Baltimore and the Arizona Diamondbacks. All right, I'm going to go college football, Arkansas State versus the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, Drake Stoops, obviously, his father was the head coach for many, many years over there, expected to have a very good season. Um, Obviously, Dylan Gabriel, another guy that is expected to have, uh, you know, to be a pretty, pretty good, uh, uh, you know, quarterback this year. And also, 
uh, when you look at Oklahoma, a lot of especially we just had uh, Patrick Murray. He really likes Oklahoma this year. I, I'm another one that thinks Oklahoma will be a top 10 team going into the season uh, this year. They're ranked 20th. I think that they could do a jump. Uh, they're going uh, they're going home uh, in their first game of the season against Arkansas State. I expect them to romp Arkansas State. Arkansas State. Um, I think this team is is overall a good offensive team. I still question their defense this year, but I, I still think they're going to put up the numbers. Give me the money line, Oklahoma Sooners. All right, Wes's first play, he had uh, Purdue covering uh, minus three and a half their first game uh, at home on Saturday at noon against Fresno State, covering minus three and a half. Go ahead, right. my friend. Yeah, we're gonna have, we're gonna actually get to football now. And I'm going to fade, <clears throat> sorry, I'm going to fade probably the most publicly backed, the most overhyped team we've had in a long time, and that's Colorado. I get it. They got a bunch of transfers coming in. Their over-under is still 3.5. I think they don't win that many games. They maybe, maybe two wins. They're in a Pac-12. Ironically, the Pac-12, which is seemingly just completely disbanding after oh, yeah. the season, they probably have the best quarterback prospects top to bottom. Oregon State's got a guy. Penix at, at Washington. Oh, he's really good. Yeah. at USC. Like, they are a loaded conference when it comes to quarterback. But I think they're going to be in for a long year. And I get it. You're coming from Jackson State. A couple of your guys are coming from Jackson State, including your quarterback, Shador Sanders. I don't know if they're – it's a jump. It's a jump from San Diego from, – from, from Jackson State to the Pac-12. Even though I'm not saying the defenses are great – this is a TCU team that's coming off the national championship. Their quarterback is new. They got a lot of new pieces. However, their quarterback was QB1 until Duggan came in and just had a fantastic year. He was their quarterback one coming out of camp last year. Now you're just inserting a guy that one has had time. He's been there around the program for a long time. I love the coaching staff at TCU. I think they got a pretty good defense. I think Colorado is coming in a little bit over their heads. I'm not saying Sanders can't get that in in a couple of years. Absolutely. Their biggest line, uh, their biggest line transfer is not going to be able to play. Sanders is very vocal about being pissed off about that. I just think that this TCU team is still going to be able to score. I like Chandler. I like their defense. Minus 20 and a half at home. Colorado is a little over their head. Give me the TCU Horn Frogs. Get a little redemption from that uh, championship loss. I'm going college football again. Northern Illinois versus Boston College. Boston College, first game of the season at home. Boston College has been a good home team, and, and usually in game number one over the last couple of years, Boston College uh, has, has been a very good first home game uh, type of team. I expect them to go home uh, this weekend on Saturday and, and put up really good numbers. Obviously, when you look at Boston College, and, and they have a running back in Pat Garwell, uh, who a lot of people think is going to have a good season. Uh, they have a very good quarterback in Emmett Moorhead. I, I think that this team is going to put up good numbers this year. And also, I, I look at Boston College this year, the way their, their, um, their schedule is set up, they could be a lot better. They could be a top 25 team if everything falls together for them uh, this year. I expect them to win and knock off Northern Illinois. Give me Boston College on the under. All right, Wes's second play, which also, is fifty point five. Uh, Wes's second play, also on that Colorado game. Um, Johnny, you're, obviously you were betting. I he said over a half a point for the first quarter. Does that mean he thinks Colorado is going to win the first quarter? I guess. Uh, 
Uh, over a half, half a point, Colorado against TCU. So I guess he's implying they're going to win the first quarter. Is what I'm yeah. guessing that means? Nah, because it'd be that they they're they're probably going to be like plus four or something in that quarter, and oh, that means he thinks they're going to score. I don't know what that. I, I don't know what that means. Okay. All right. I guess he's all right. Or he's going to say they're going to score. We'll go with that. All right. I'll, I'll trust your judgment on that. So Colorado, I, I guess, scores a, a field goal at least, like, or a safety. Yeah. I, I guess, guess he gets that. it on a safety too. Yeah. I think. I guess. I don't. I don't know. Because uh, they're minus, it's plus 20 and a half. So for the game, they're probably going to be about plus four or five for the quarter. Okay. Um, so we can play it that way. I mean, I don't really know. All right. Um, we're sticking to football. Uh, this is a, a, a I would kind of teeter-tottering on this play. Part of it is because um, a lot of stuff happened in the offseason with both Iowa and Iowa State. Um, that being said, I like Iowa to lay, lay in the 23 and a half points. Mm. It's probably not the best number. I think it was 21-22 much earlier utah state's in total rebuild right they, they they weren't that good last year kind of came down uh, off and off season and and iowa was really struggled offensively went out and got pieces I, look shout out reno nevada kid nakamara out of damani ranch that's where i'm from so i, I know uh, the area very well i know the high schools out there i know the i know guys that coached him so i i'm, I'm pretty like familiar with him i, I watched him play and watched his tape i think this is a perfect position for him I actually thought he did nothing wrong to lose a job in Michigan. I thought they were just so lost defensively. They were just trying new pieces. They still aren't. I'm not even sure what Michigan's doing at quarterback right now. But I think Iowa, it's a, it's a home for him, right? He's going to be able to kind of extend plays a little bit, get outside the pocket. He's a good pocket quarterback. I think Utah State's in so much shambles right now. I think Iowa's going to get their offense going. This is a team that really struggled last year. They were winning games 9-6. I mean, it was ugly. <laughs> Yeah. completely different team they got some guys in they did lose a couple receiving pieces that were kind of on the bottom end of the depth chart in terms of, of when they were going to play due to some gambling stuff um but i just think they just have too many pieces they got the transfers they brought in far outweigh what utah state has i'm just going to go with the better team they're at home hostile environment better offense from last year their defense is also really good i don't think utah state can score like I want, I kind of want to see like what's what's the prop on Utah State not getting a point because that might be a good play. But give me Iowa minus twenty three and a half. There you go, Carl. You have somebody that believes in the Iowa offense. <laughs> go ahead, give us Wes. All right, Wes's last one is uh, he has Houston uh, covering against uh, UTSA. Uh, they play on Saturday. UTSA obviously coming off the. Uh, Big season. I think they were either undefeated or close to it in that in that conference. Uh, but he's got Houston and new in the Big Twelve too, which is very interesting as well. You wonder how that's going to transform it. So yeah, he has Houston. I have an upset on Saturday, September second, at seven thirty. I, I don't want to bet against UNC because we have two guys that have been on the show, and I want to see them. Uh, have a good season, but I, I can't stand South Carolina Gamecocks. <laughs> uh, they have uh, Spencer Rattler, but Errol's um, one of five most hated athletes. I I think they're going to surprise the country. This is the surprise game. I think they knock off UNC on the money line. Uh, Spencer Rattler, D'Angelo Gibbs. 
Uh, two guys that are definitely going into the draft this year. Rattler has a good year this year. He could be a first-round draft pick. I mean, at one point a couple of years ago, he was a, he was estimated to be a first-round draft pick. He last year had a very good season. He obviously transferred. He's played better over there with the Gamecocks. I think if he has a good season, he put up he puts up the numbers. I yeah, he could be a late round, first, second round type of draft pick if he puts up the numbers that he had last year and, and actually gets his team uh, in. You know, in the top 25. I think he could. I think UNC gets knocked out. and They surprise the country. In game number one of the season, the Gamecocks win on the money line. Oh, if Errol, if, 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 if he becomes a first-round pick, I don't know what Errol's going to do. <laughs> I, I, I would be I, I would be shocked. Hey, listen. Uh, he was estimated to be a first-round draft pick at one point. He was the best quarterback in the in the in the country in high school. He fell off because he's got a big mouth, and in Oklahoma, he got beat out for a job. That that's pretty much it. it pretty much sells for who he is. Now he's been a, he's he's right now playing for the Gamecocks. Last season, he had a fantastic year. He surprised a lot of people. He put up great numbers, and and I think for some reason he's going to go into game number one. He's going to put on a, a show in game number one against a UNC team that's pretty pretty built defense. Defensively, and they're ranked 21. I I, st- I think this game's a lot closer than what the line says. Uh, I think I think Spencer Radler and the Gamecocks win on the money line. I mean, I just I, I think I've seen enough from Spencer Radler to know that I don't like him either. He's probably not the guy that you're going to go for. Um, UNC's you know not favored by that much. I mean, I get I get it. it's a road game, but. I think it's a tough play for me. Um, I'm actually going to head on a Sunday and stay in college football, LSU, Florida State. It's the only top 10 matchup of the weekend. Uh, I think Brian Kelly's, you know, from his days at Grand Valley State, he is one of the most underrated coaches in college football. Has he not won? Has he won the big one at all? No. He's won at every level, right? uh, Central Michigan, uh, Grand Valley, Notre Dame, who was perennial final four contender top five every single year and real quick i want to say notre dame has some of the highest uh entrance standards for college athletes and he was able to do that contain make sure everybody stayed eligible and still win games lsu last year i think they got off on the wrong foot there was kids after week one trying to transfer yeah like i want to play for brian kelly something happened Nobody transferred. I think they lost one guy. In case Sean Boutte didn't play either. <laughs> huh? In case Sean Boutte, like, sat out the whole season, too. Their best receiver. Correct. That was the one guy. Everybody else bought in. And when they bought, they started winning games. They're, they're coming in top 10 in, this, in, in the country. They also have to remember, they lost last year to this Florida State team. They were closer <laughs> to home. They're going to Orlando. Florida State's going to have probably a little more fans. I think Brian Kelly and this team's ready to bounce back. Jaden Daniels, to me, is a I think he's a definite Heisman candidate. I know Florida State's on the on the up and up as well. I'm looking at the edge here, coaching staff. I'll go to uh, to LSU. I also think returning players. I go to LSU, and I'm buying into more what LSU is selling than what Florida State is. I'm going to take it on the money line. It's minus two. It's kind of coming down. A lot of money's coming in on Florida State. I'm okay with that. Give me the money line. It's about one minus one twenty five. I'll take that LSU to win the game on Sunday in Orlando. Revenge from last season. Those are my four plays on this parlay. 
right, well, West didn't have a fourth play, but I'll just recap the ones he had from this game so, so you know about it, Johnny. He was basically on Florida covering every quarter. Eight and a half, eight, seven and a half, seven, money line. Nine and a half over total, team total for the first half, and then over 19 and a half for the game. Well, he's wrong there. And it, I think he, besides the, I think the last two in the second half, I don't think he covered any of the other ones because uh, Utah's defense did show up. All right, my final play of the night is a good one. It will be a one play. Uh, Riley Leonard uh, nice. on Monday against the Clemson Tigers. Yes, the pain in the butt Clemson Tigers. He's going to shove the ball down their throats. I, I'm going to predict this. Riley Leonard will run a touchdown in and throw a touchdown pass in that game against Clemson. So bet on it. Run a touchdown in and throw a touchdown in the same game against Clemson. They will lose against Clemson, but it'll be a lot closer than people think. And Riley Leonard, against one of the best teams in the country, will show everybody why he could be, and I believe, could be a late first-round draft pick this year. I, I really do believe that. He is that good of a quarterback. He proved that it, Daniel... Right now, Daniel Jones was a first-round draft pick. He is a, a much more talented quarterback than Daniel Jones was. And he is uh, – last year he went to the the Manning camp. He was invited to the Manning camp and, and did very well over there. I expect him to put up numbers even better than he did last year. I think he ran 15 touchdowns last year or something like that. It was uh, it was some ridiculous number running in touchdowns and, and throwing the ball. I expect him to put even better numbers up this year. I expect him one touchdown throw, throw and one running touchdown for our friend Riley Leonard against the Clemson Tigers. Maybe the Clemson will expose him. 13 points. I like to play. I'm going to give out a free one. This doesn't really count because it's a future. It's a future mm -hmm. play. Mm -hmm. um, the Derek special. The Derek special. <laughs> I'm high on Notre Dame. So if you can find Notre Dame to make the playoff and their schedule really lines up for it. First off, Notre Dame, when they went over this coaching change, one thing that usually happens when, when you lose your coach players leave. Notre Dame did the smartest thing that you could ever do. They hired from within the program a guy that says, I want to be at Notre Dame. Understanding that it's harder to get players to go there. because they don't, they, You still gotta go to school. They don't take classes lightly when you go to Notre Dame. You still have to do your stuff. I want to be here. They kept him and they did not lose nearly the transfers they thought they were going to lose. They stayed in the top 15 recruiting class highest recruiting class Notre Dame ever had. They did it back-to-back -back years now. They have, a for the first time since Brady Quinn, a quarterback, and they play three top 10 opponents going into the season, two of them hmm. at home. I think they are they are lined up and geared up, and you're going to probably get some of the best value over the top 10 teams that are playoff eligible. Notre Dame's going to be the best value for you. So that's a little oh. bonus there for y'all. Interesting. Yeah, we were talking about earlier with our guest, Patrick Murray. Like, that's mm -hmm. a gauntlet to start the season for Notre Dame. But if they prove it, they prove it. That's, that's, yeah, they, that's they, good they, a competition. They get USC in week five. Like, they get USC pretty yeah. early. They hit that. Okay, that's one. They get Clemson at home. And they have one road game. I, I got to look up the schedule. They have one road top 15 game. Or top 10 game. So and if, if Hartman cool. comes back as that quarterback that he was at Wake Forest, you've got a finally competent quarterback play over there. Correct. And that's what they've struggled the last three years. They just haven't had an offense. Right. They've had a great defense. Their offense was terrible. So this, this is the, the team to look out for this year. All right, Mr. Reno, Mr. Johnny, enjoy 
the rest of the week with your family. Tell your wife I said hello. I never met her, but hello. Uh, hello to your, your nice, beautiful, healthy son. And uh, keep yeah. up the good work. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Well, let's talk to you next week. Thank you, I guess. Reno Johnny. <laughs> You like that, Speedy? I'm not sure where you were trying to go for it. I was trying to do a horse, you know. I, I'm Actually, trying. that wasn't a bad horse. Ch- Chaz would be proud. He <laughs> loves Chaz loves his horses. <laughs> if I could actually be Donkey from, you know, uh, Shrek, Shrek. Yeah. If I could be Eddie Murphy, you know, like, I, I, if I could speak like him, that would be awesome, you know. He, I love Donkey. I, I In the movie Shrek, I don't like Shrek. I don't like Mike Myers. I don't like uh, the. I don't like the the, the the cat or whatever the hell it is. Puss and boots, the puss, yeah, yeah the puss. <laughs> um, I I I love Donkey. He is the best part of that. Oh, movie. easily. <laughs> and every time he, he, his smile just makes me laugh. Every time because he 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 smiles like Eddie Murphy. So it, it is pretty funny. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going with the Donkey. Do you like your waffles enough to justify that? I do like waffles, actually. Yeah. Homemade waffles. I like homemade waffles, not the diner waffles. They're disgusting. I don't think Donkey would taste like picky. rubber. By the way, if you go down south in Florida and you you order a waffle, it tastes like it, it tastes like rubber. It tastes. It doesn't taste right. I don't know. I don't what think it Donkey is. would be that picky though. Maybe it's the milk. I don't know. I, 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 it doesn't taste right. It doesn't taste like waffles. It tastes like a dry pancake. That's what waffles taste like down there. Uh, it's terrible. Anyways, uh, yes, let's parlay. As always, we'll see where we fall. Hopefully, I, 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 I'm very surprised. I, I, I've taken a surprise game like UNC and, and South Carolina, but I yeah, you betting for Spencer Rattler? Who would have thought? I just think because they're the home team and UNC going into this year, I think they might start off slow. I. I uh, they have a great quarterback uh, who a lot of people think could be a first-round talent. Uh, and Spencer Rattler, I think he's he can make a statement if he wins this game, in game number one of the year. So um, I, the Gamecocks think they can win. So uh, we'll see. No, they had a good improvement the last two years, too, with Shane Beamer as a coach. So it's definitely possible, like, this is the leap they could take. And we're seeing an SEC with a little more parity even last year. It's the so. only surprise game, I think, uh, when you look at all the games and how close they are. That's the only game that really sticks out to me that could surprise people. You know, that's the only game where a ranked team could fall out by. And we like UNC because we've had two of the guys on our show and uh, they speak very highly of uh, North Carolina Tar Heels and what what they could do this year. I just I question um, I question this year where their ranking is and and what I've heard with some of the injuries going into the season, uh, what they're going to be dealing with this year. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Ugh, man, oh man, I am a little tired tonight. Are, are you tired, Speedy? Not yet. You're not tired? Not yet. Well, that's because you sleep till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, yeah, I was also up until 6.30. No, so. I, I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning because I had the runs. Did you uh, ever have that? Not Did you ever have the runs not ideal. at 3 o'clock in the morning? And you're, you're, you get up, you get a stomach ache, and man, oh man, it's the worst when you... When it's a buildup. I had ice cream last night. 12.30 at night, I had ice cream. Mint chocolate chip. I had some of my thing. I put it in the microwave to heat it up. So just to get it, like, to not let it be crunchy. Because I opened it up a couple, like, a week ago. And if you open it up and you don't eat it right away, it gets, like, rough. So I, I put it in the microwave. I ate the whole 
carton of ice cream. I mean, I I scarfed it down. Wow. And when I and when when I went to sleep, I went right to sleep. I always wake up because I'm lactose intolerant, and I, I I had a stomachache. I I felt like I was pregnant. Okay. That's what I felt like. I felt like I was pregnant. I nothing I, I had cramps. <laughs> I had cramps. So I was, I was on the bowl for a couple, uh, at least an hour. I, I I couldn't go to the bathroom. But finally, you know, the buildup in the uh, the stomach aches uh, went away. But uh, it's horrible. It's a horrible feeling when you you get up and you can't go to the bathroom. Feeling like you're pregnant. I never would have thought I would have heard. Well, all yeah, they say you get cramps when you're pregnant. No, it's I believe it. I, I'm just saying. Like, and I when you're trying to push out a baby, it's like. You know, yeah, I, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to push out my babies. Uh, you know, I, that's what they are, right? What are, what are they? Your baby ice cream flavors? <laughs> uh, no, it was my uh, baby nuggets. That's what I call them. Oh, uh, is that so? Yes, my baby nuggets. I guess if you finish a whole bag of chicken nuggets, you could go for that. My, you want to know something? I can eat like two bags of chicken nuggets. There you go. Then you could get out baby nuggets. I don't want to get myself into trouble on this show. So I, I could say a lot of crazy Yeah, that's things. enough pregnancy talk for a day. Well, I'm not pregnant, and I don't have... I've, I didn't say I, you were. If I could give birth, I'd be a very rich man. If, if I oh, had ovaries, I'd be a rich man. Yep. If I can hold a baby for nine months. Yeah, I think, I think there was... I think there was, I'll push it out of my ass. There was one guy, I forget, like, it was like years ago when I was a kid. There was a guy in Japan that was like in the beginning of like the pregnancy process. They no, actually got him. Yeah, he didn't end up getting the baby out, but it was like two months or so he actually was pregnant. Ugh. I don't know. Leave, leave it to Japan to have all these quirky facts. Well, on them. you know, Japan, China—they're all—they're all the same in in my eyes when it comes to technology. Uh, two countries that find a way to technically be more sound than we are, and they always have the oh, things yeah. out before we do. Yep. I mean, before you know it, they'll have flying cars all over that country, and then we'll find. Yeah, where was that supposed one. to be? In uh, Back to the Future too. For well, all these hoverboards. Well, they they do have a flying car. That, yeah, it was a couple of years later though, from Back to the Future. But they too. do. Yeah. I mean, right now, uh, it's not it's not out where you can buy it and you can no. fly it. But no. it, it will be. I, I expect sure. it in the next five years to be a flying car out there. And then they're going to have to figure out on, on the airspace and how that's going to work. Yep. Because uh, you have planes and how high could they go? Are they allowed to go a certain height? Uh, one, it's dangerous. Two, it can get in the way Altitude, of things. Yeah. yeah, it can get away. And, think, and there could be a lot of accidents after that, sure. you know. So it's interesting. It's it's very interesting. I would love the flying scooter. I mean, they have electric scooters now, and I think they're awesome. I mean, they're so fast. But I want to see the flying scooters where you can fly and you can go over water and stuff like that. That yeah, would be great would when be you nice. when you can go over a lake. And, you know, instead of going around the lake, you can cross the lake. You know, that would be cool. <laughs> you don't have to worry about bridges. You don't want to have to worry about any of that. You don't I mean, just worry about a, a whale or a dolphin jumping out. Well, I'm not talking about ocean. You're not going to be able to fly over the ocean because it can only go over a certain height. But yeah, I guess a lake, true. a lake you could go over. Why not? Yeah, I guess that's true. A lake is, you know, really depending on how high it is or how low it is. You can you can go over a lake and cross, a, you know, cross cross a lake because there's really no waves. Right. So, uh, I mean, that's what I would think. I, I mean, I'm not. Uh, I am not. Uh, 
a geography type of person, so I wouldn't know much about it. But anyways. Don't worry, we're projecting new ideas well, for flying vehicles. It is a sports radio show. It's not uh, social studies. Hey, who says there could be a sport with flying scooters? And I am so not a mathematician, sure. so I couldn't give you the numbers or the estimates of any of that. So unfortunately, if that's what you're asking on the show, don't listen, because I am not the guy to go to. Hey, there could be a flying scooter sport in the future well, once that kind of there's a lot of hoverboards. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, they're trying to they're, they're bringing esports into the Olympics. And eventually, dodgeball and all that other oh, stuff. Oh, I've been pushing for that for years. Yeah, so <laughs> I, it looks like a lot of these sports, I mean, what do they have? What's that, that new tennis game? What is that thing called? Yeah, pickleball. Pickleball, which is, is going to be Olympic sport. The Dave Ben special. By the way, uh, I think there were three NFL players, Miles Garrett being one of them and B. John Robinson. They went in and they bought, I think, three, two, other, two other players, two NFL players, actually bought into a pickleball team. Yeah, maybe they learned from our friend Chris Gronkowski. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, did, does he own a pickleball team? No, but he was he was, he was pushing for like that was his uh, big sport that he loves to play. And so does like, Kurt Warner. Yeah, and oh yeah, that's true. Cade was telling us about that, so that's right. Cade looked good. Did yeah. he make the team? Uh, oh, I didn't check, but uh, unfortunately, our friend Drew Chrisman did not. My my friend Brendan was messaging me about that, but the Eagles don't have a punter. Maybe they can go sign him. Uh, Drew Chrisman had a, a he unfortunately had a, a scary injury too, which didn't help him too. He was in the hospital for a while as well, so hopefully he gets somewhere. Son of NFL legend who earned two point seven contract being cut after just one year. Fans gasp. What is this? Fans, fans gasp. That's crazy. So Tampa dropped him. Mm, that's not ideal. I'm, I'm just looking. I'm reading the article right now. It's. Uh, uh, I'm surprised. Oh. Yeah, it looked like he was playing. He looked like he was playing well too. So it was a little surprising. Yeah, he's not listed. It's uh, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, obviously Raheem Garrett, Cephas Johnson, Ryan Miller, David Moore, Trey Palmer, and Devin Tompkins. Oh, Carl, your guy Devin Tompkins. He uh, stays on the roster. There you go. There you go. But he. he he just got a $2.7 million contract, Cade. And how do you just drop him after mm. giving him $2.7 million? Yeah, that's got to be a pretty high for an undrafted guy, too. Undrafted guy cutting him, and he just made $2.7 million. Somebody's going to pick him up. Yeah, unless he comes off waivers and makes the practice squad. Yeah, maybe that's what they're trying to wait on. Um, you look at just a receiver position. There's just a lot of receivers. You wonder. I like Cade. Uh, I loved him. He was one of the best interviews we had with these players, for sure. Does and he follow us? Uh, I don't remember offhand. Cade, you'd be following us, my friends. But he definitely was uh, one of the best in terms of the personality, too. It was fantastic with him. And, yeah, I definitely hope he does get another spot. So well, You should. I, I think he could. Yeah, especially with receiver injuries, too. We've seen a lot recently. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me if he becomes at least at least a slot specialist guy for somebody. Well, we're looking forward to seeing uh, if anybody picks him up. Uh, before we get to our final segment of the show, and I know a lot of people don't like it. For some reason, they don't like uh, Bracket Wars. It's crazy because we thought it would be a draw. And if it isn't a draw after this, I think we'll move away from Bracket Wars. We'll figure out another segment because people aren't enjoying the Bracket how to realign, Wars. How to realign college football. Maybe. <laughs> maybe we'll do that or we'll figure out like What is the new else. conference alignment for college football? I, we'll thought, I thought people would drive to Bracket Wars. I really did. I think it's a, a very interesting segment where you can compare and contrast different eras and different players from different sports and different, uh, you know, genre of, you know, uh, of positions, I don't know, because I think we were going to go to wide receivers and and then 
maybe offensive players in you know respectable sports. I don't. Know. That's a good one. Offensive players in respective sports, just any position. Yeah, sure. Why not? Just offensive traits in general. That could be a wide range of outcomes that could go for. Mm, it is interesting. Uh, what are we watching over here? Who knows? Is uh, there? Did he win this one? Match point right now, and it looks like Isner is out. Ooh. U.S. Open? Is this the U.S.? Yeah, yep, it is. U.S. US Open, Open did start. I, they, were, they were hyping it up because uh, I just went to the oh. Mets game. It was right in the same parking lot as where the city field parking is. They were advertising for that. It started, I think, it's the beautiful day after over we went there. to the game. I actually um, I was over there uh, twice this year for Anthony's competitions. It's right over there. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's 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 beautiful over there, by the way. It really is. Uh, I never got a chance to go to the U.S. Open, and John Isner was the favorite to win in this game. Uh, you could see he's very upset about it. Uh, eight times finishing as the number one American at ATP. Uh, ranking, uh, he doesn't look pretty happy. That's for yeah. Sure. I think there's a drought. I think Andy Roddick was the last U.S. player to win the U.S. Open in '03. It so. doesn't say much about U.S. tennis. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not men's. their specialty sport. No, at one point it was Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras. That's yeah. when it was at its highest. Jimmy Connors. Tennis is just falling off. I mean, and then even with the United States with uh, Martina Navratilova and uh, obviously uh, Jennifer Capriati. Remember that? Uh, if Capriati actually stayed away from the drugs, she she might have gone down as one of the greatest women tennis players of all time. But uh, that didn't work out as uh, we've seen this before. Anyways, are you ready, Speedy? Are we going to Bracket Wars now? Bracket Wars. All right, so we got uh, two matchups. We got uh, a couple of lower seeds in this one. Carmelo Anthony versus Mariano Rivera. And then we got the number seven seed, Mike Bossy, against the number three seed, Darrell Rivas. It's time for Bracket. 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 It's time for Bracket Wars. All right, we'll start with the double-digit one. Carmelo Anthony, the number 12 seed. Does he have another run in him against the number one seed, Mariano Rivera? In 20 NBA seasons, Melo averaged 22.5 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game, 2.7 assists per game. In seven seasons with the Knicks, Melo averaged 24.7 points per game, 7 rebounds per game, 3.2 assists per game. Melo was a 10-time All-Star, a 6-time first-team NBA player, won a scoring title, and was on the NBA's 75th anniversary all Time team. Mello is 19th in uh, most shots made in an NBA, in NBA history and 11th in points in NBA history. In 83 playoff games, Mello averaged 23.1 points per game, uh, 6.7 rebounds per game, and 2.5 assists per game. Honestly, Mello is a top five Nick of all time. In this era, was one of the top ten offensive players of this era. He is a Hall of Famer. He will go into the Hall of Fame. And he will probably be looked at as one of the greatest top five Knicks to ever play in history. Yeah, you're talking about all like offensive players that really made an impact on their sport too. Carmelo Anthony was arguably the best mid-range shooter in the game at his time when he when he was peaking in Denver and a little bit when he started coming to the Knicks too. You could argue it was him and Kevin Durant for the best mid-range shooter in the league for a long time. And again, he was a guy that was extremely disrespected too across uh, Nick fans and just basketball fans in general, but he was easily a Hall of Famer and anyone that thinks he's not is crazy. Number one seed, Mariano Rivera. Rivera had 652 saves, most and MLB history, 51 saves 
over the next highest, Trevor Hoffman. Rivera is an all-time leader in total games, finished in 952, and is the all-time leader in ERA plus at 205 among both starters and relievers. Uh, Rivera was a 13-time All-Star, five-time reliever of the year, and won both the ALCS MVP and the World Series MVP as part of five Yankee championships. Despite never winning a Cy Young, he finished in the top five of the voting five times during his career. In 96 career playoff games, this is what separates the man from the boys. Rivera won 42, has 42 saves and as a 0.7 ERA, a 0.76 whip, and 110 strikeouts. Arguably one of the greatest pitchers of all time. I'm talking about pitchers, not just relief pitchers. Pitchers of all time. Top 10. Uh, and, and the greatest reliever we'll ever see. I don't think his records will be broken for a very, very long time. Mariano Rivera is, I mean, the Mariano Rivera Relief Pitcher Award is now in the American League, and that's you know why he, it's named after him because he's the greatest ever, ever to pitch. Yeah, and he's going to be the greatest because a lot of these relief pitchers in today's game are very fluky. And for all you guys that love to bash analytics, including our uh, Yankee prospect Ben Ruda that like to bash analytics too, 205 ERA plus to put into perspective, like a league average for both a pitcher and a hitter is 100 because it factors into the hitter's ballparks. And everyone, including uh, our Yankee haters in the comment section love to bash to the Yankee Stadium. Oh, it's a band box. Mariano still pitched an ERA of 205 plus in a, in that kind of band box in Yankee Stadium. That is an insane stat. It'll never be duplicated either. I have to go with him. I'm going with Mariano too. It's I, and I I I'll be very surprised if anybody tries to vote. Carmelo Anthony. He's done anyways because we both voted against Carmelo, but yeah. I'm interested to see what the fans think. I, I picked against him both times in the first round, too. You picked him for him both times, but it's run ends here. Yeah, I don't think he's beating Mariano. Uh, the number 17, Mike Bossy versus Darrell Rivas. Uh, Bossy was an eight-time All-Star, four-time Stanley Cup champion, three-time Lady Bing Trophy winner, and also won a Calder Trophy in Conn Smythe. In 10 NHL seasons, Bossy had 573 goals, 553 assists, 1,126 career points. In 1980 and 81 season, Bossy led the NHL in goals, power play goals, and game-winning goals. Bossy is one of only five players in NHL history to score 50 goals in his first 50, ga- 50 games of a season. Uh, Bossy made the playoffs in all 10 years of his career and had 85 goals, 75 assists, and 160 po- total points, including 33 power play goals and 17 game-winning goals. So I'm going to say that Mike Bossy is the greatest Islander to ever play, and that's saying a lot with those Stanley Cup championship teams. He was the face of the Islanders. He was the best player on that team. Uh, I think that's 10 seasons with 50 or more goals. I mean, uh, one of the greatest offensive prolific scores we've ever seen come and, and play in the NHL. 50 goals in 50 games, too. That's really hard to do. You look at 82-game NHL season, you're on pace for 82 goals in 82 games based on that pace. Obviously, it's not, was not sustainable for that whole time, but still had some 70-goal seasons and a lot of 60-goal seasons amidst all that. In an era of hockey that started to get more offensive, but still was more top-heavy with the heavy goal scores, and he was one of them. Darrell Rivas. Uh, Rivas was a seven-time pro bowler, four-time first-team all-pro player, and a member of the all-decade team in 2000. 10. Uh, Revis had 29 interceptions, 139 passes deflected, and only committed 27 penalties in his career. Revis had arguably the greatest single season for a cornerback in 2009 on passes that he was targeted. Only 37.8% were caught for just 502 yards and a 29.1 passing rating. 
uh, between 2009 and 2011, 200, on 253 passes thrown to Revis, only 38.7 were caught and only allowed six touchdowns. That season, Revis held many notable receivers under 40 yards, including Andre Johnson, Chad Johnson, Steve Smith, and, of course, both Terrell Owens and Randy Moss twice. Honestly, I, I'm biased. I think he's the greatest corner to ever play. Uh, it's definitely second greatest corner to play. I, I don't think he's really respected by some of the great corners of this era because they don't realize how special he really was. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see anybody like him. I, I think Sauce is fantastic. I think Sauce could do wonders and show Jet fans that why Darrell Rivas was so special for all those years and maybe Sauce becomes another Darrell Rivas. I don't know if he will. I mean, the numbers that he put up in the time that he was dominant, I don't think could ever be broken. So yeah. I, I think Darrell Rivas is the greatest corner to ever play. I'm going to go with Darrell Rivas. Yeah, and also you look at, we talk about rules changes all the time, trying to benefit offensive players in football, and it makes it harder for these corners, especially to be as good as they are and have that kind of season against five future Hall of Fame wide receivers and uh, a lot of good ones under 40 yards twice, like you were saying with Randy Moss, on with playing with Tom Brady, too. And He also did it against Calvin Johnson, Calvin Johnson, Johnson who was too. probably the best receiver in the league. He's not time. even on that yeah. list, and he did that. Calvin Johnson, I think, was the following year, and he did that to, to, to Calvin Johnson. He shut him down. I think he had 10 yards in that yeah. game. And he was the best receiver in the league at that time, in 2010, when he did that. Megatron. Yeah, and that kind of thing in today's to game, today's rules, and today's talent at wide receiver is just unheard of. And, oh, everyone's going to criticize him because, oh, he didn't have a lot of interceptions. He wasn't thrown to. Look at those numbers when he was targeted. He allowed less than 502 yards a season. So, yeah, I'm going with him. Too. Uh, it's it's crazy because I, I like Mike Bossy, and he's had he had a great career. But Terrell Revis is, is just as special. I, it could go either way from a 7 seed to a 3 seed. But Terrell Revis, you have to look at what he did and how talented uh, and the talent that he played against with a, a really – at some points, uh, a Jets team that was just debacling right. Uh, right in front of her eyes. So, And Cromartie could never stay healthy, and, and, and teams just still didn't want to throw it. T- Tom Brady came out and said he's the greatest corner he's ever played against. Right. That's it, crazy for all the talent that he's played with and played against. So uh, Darrell Rivas, arguably the greatest corner to ever play the game. Uh, it was a great show. It really was. Thank you to, bro- obviously, ESPN Plus college football analyst, broadcaster, Patrick Murray. He, first time he's been on a show. I, I'm sure he enjoyed it. He had some fun. Uh, I thought it was a great interview. He really was fantastic. Uh, uh, thank you to all the fans. I, I don't know what happened to Jeff. I guess Jeff just absolutely <laughs> hates me. Um, well, I talk so much college football on this show. You think you'd like it. <laughs> you know what it is? I think he's just, uh, you know, he needs to pull his panties up in a bunch. I mean, seriously, stop being a baby uh, because of what happened yesterday. You you have this problem of trying to make your points and set your points and, and do it in such an awkward way where you attack people when you could be professional and do it in a professional kind of way. And that's why I don't like what Jeff does. But nevertheless, I think he's a good voice and he knows he is the voice of reason when you want to argue uh, and make the points. So uh, I, I don't hate Jeff. I think, I think Jeff needs to grow up. But again, we will be back next week on Wednesdays and Thursdays moving forward, 7 to 10 o'clock. It's no more 9 to 12. We're going to go with these times. So fans, 
including Josh and everybody else, complaining <laughs> that they're not going to be up at 9 o'clock. You'll get a chance to watch at least two hours of the show. So we are moving 7 to 10. Speedy, I want you to send that to our web designer so he can change that or she can change that uh, tonight so uh, we can start moving forward for all the fans to check us out. Uh, thank you to all the fans. And, and by the way, we all have two new writers writing for us on our website, so check them out. I think they're going to be fantastic. I really do. They're going to be young and bright, so definitely check out our website throughout the week. Uh, listen to The Weekend Crunch on 103.9. If you live here, 103.9. If you don't, iHeartRadio at 7 p.m. on Saturday night. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. We are done. We'll talk to you next week. Good night. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.